Week eight. Uh, in the books? No, week nine? sir. That was Jeez, week, week nine, nine for the NFL. I gotta week start writing. I guess start writing it down on our lists, on, our, on like our our, our call sheets or whatever. But yeah, week nine in the NFL done. Week ten in college is done. A crazy weekend in college. Um, another crazy weekend in the NFL. Uh, a week that we thought we were it was going to be a whole lot of dog shit football. Uh, turned out to have a bunch of really entertaining games, particularly in yep. the early window. Um, and then even a little bit in the second window too, we had a classic Tom Brady finish. Uh, we had a Tua Justin field shootout that we all saw coming, uh, the Detroit lions picking up their second win of the season. Uh, just a whole lot of interesting stuff. We also have a new head coach fired. We'll get to that in a little bit and a shocking interim head coach. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> is a fascinating call, but I'm kind of excited about it. So we'll get into all of that. Um, but we should lead off. Uh, the World Series wrapped up over the weekend. Yeah, sorry, buddy. Congratulations to the Houston Astros. Well, um, yeah, I guess so. I'll say congratulations to uh, to Dusty Baker first and foremost. I mean, baseball lifer, and finally, after 25 years as a manager, gets his first World Series. I loved. I grew up watching Dusty as a as a Giants fan. He was my manager for uh, for most of my childhood. Uh, and so it's it's good to finally see him get one. But, uh, you know, a lot of those other guys on the team, well, at least the, the two big ones, uh, Altuve and uh, and Bregman, who were part of that 2017 team. Verlander, too, for his first real title. I mean, he joined the Astros in 2017 when uh, they went on to win the title. That was uh, via trade in the middle of the year. So his first real uh, title, I think, for Verlander, great to yeah. see that as well. For, and likely uh, a, a, a Cy Young. star pitcher. Likely a Cy Young yeah. on top of that for Verlander had an un- unbelievable season. Oh yeah, I mean he's. I honestly think you can make the case he's the best pitcher of our lifetime. Ah uh, yeah, I think he could. I mean, who I else is in could. that conversation? I mean, uh, Rand- Kershaw probably Randy is Johnson, up there. Kershaw has to be up there. Yeah. Um, Pedro. I mean, you could say guys like Roy Halladay, but you know. Doc, you know, Doc didn't have the longevity. I mean, it's the it's the combination of longevity plus dominance. I mean, the guy's going to win a Cy Young at 39 years old. It's it's fucking crazy. I'm with you on the Dusty Baker thing. I think every I mean, when he got hired after everything that went down with the cheating scandal with the Astros, it made. It was the perfect hire, right, because he was the spoonful of sugar that helped the medicine of all that situation go down. Right. It's like you want to hate the Astros, but even the casual baseball fan likes Dusty Baker. Um, mm-hmm. And he had been so close and so many different opportunities. Um, it sucks for this Phillies team. I mean, an unbelievable yeah. run. It's a run that I look as a Phillies fan. I didn't expect us to get that far. Well, um, that's the thing, man. Yeah. Like that team is 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 still young and very, very good. So and, it and is, nobody it is. nobody in baseball expected you to get this far. Nobody. It is, it is, but it isn't, right? I mean, Harper is 30. Um, Real Muto is 30. Castellanos is almost 30. Um, Schwarber's 30. Like they a lot of the core guys there. I mean, and look in baseball, they still have another five years of really, really high level productive baseball. Harper is going to be a stud for years to come. Real Muto is going to be a stud for years to come. Um, 
they need to make some changes. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Reese Hoskins. Um, his contract is, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily up. It's one of those weird baseball contracts, but essentially they can move off of him this offseason if they choose the opt, to. The option yeah, here. Um, same thing with Gene Segura. So we could see a different Phillies team, you know, rolling out next year. But it sucks because that game three, and I, I said this in my family, uh, not game three, game uh, six, uh, or no, it was game five, whatever the game, um, it was game five after the no hitter and bottom of the ninth inning, one out and JT hits that absolute bomb into right center field and Chaz McCormick Put makes it going out. Yeah. And, and ja- Chaz McCormick makes an unreal catch in a really, mm-hmm. really tough spot. Um, and that was in my mind, what I always call like the championship DVD moments, right? That was the yeah. one that like that stuff happens, right? And they got Boy, lucky. there's an aging phrase. <laughs> yeah, right. It, I was I was trying to explain that to my girlfriend <laughs> over the weekend, and she I was like, "Do you remember like championship like, when it happened?" And I was obviously upset, but I was like, "You know what a cha- remember the championship DVDs were like?" And she's a DC sports fan, so she's like, "No." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, fair." <laughs> um, but but it was one of those moments, right? And I I just. The luck was on their side, the broken bat singles to get them their third run in game five, which, you know, uh, the Phillies, I mean, Cindergaard kept them in that game. The bullpen kept them in that game. Brogdon pitching like two shutout innings was unreal. Like they were so close and and yet there was just a couple of things. First and third, Segura gets the base hit to make it three to two. And then Shorver comes up and you have Trey Mancini who's played like five innings in the field for this Astros team since he got traded there at the deadline and And credit to him too, man. I mean, guy had cancer two years ago and now he's a world series champion. And that's, it's another dusty Baker thing. You know, like everyone loves Trey Mancini. I love Trey Mancini. I love that for him, but Schwarber hits that rocket down the first baseline and everyone goes, I mean, he hit that thing 150 miles an hour, like, and Mancini just – it's one of those, the ball found him, right? They had two infield hits that that game. And when they didn't come back and win game game five, that's kind of when I was like, all right, like this is this is it. And, man, and look, again, Chaz McCormick, Philly kid, makes the heroic catch in the bottom of the ninth inning. You know, that's a double, maybe even a triple with Real Muto's mm-hmm. speed. And then you have Harper coming up. Um, that seems like a very different way that that game would end. And they just, they didn't have timely hits. What was the stat? They went 0 for 20 in between game one and game five with runners in scoring position. (laughs) I mean, you you can't do that and expect to win baseball games, right? Um, But nonetheless, it was an unbelievable run. It was not a run we were expecting as Philly fans. Um, And you hope, right, that there's young enough. They still have maybe another five years of this nucleus. And Trey Turner's a free agent. There's going to be some guys out there. You know, if you move off of Gene, you slide Bryson Stott to second, and then you go and get a guy like Trey Turner. You add somebody else to the bullpen. They have their young top recruit who already went from single-A ball up to triple-A um, just this season, who was the number seven pick, I think, in the 2021 draft. Um, so there's room for optimism. But you know this as well as I do, Scotty. Like, in baseball, it's so weird, man. It's so mm-hmm. weird. And you have to be one of the like elite, elite teams, or you have to get lucky and get hot at the right time. This team did, and they came up a little bit short. But nonetheless, thank you, Phillies, for a phenomenal Red October. It was so much fun yeah. getting to follow that it team. Was, as a non-Phillies fan, it was it was just fun baseball to watch. 
yeah uh for me um yeah. and you know I, you said it all man so congrats to them when they had won a bunch of games doing small ball stuff through the first three rounds and then they kind of went boomer bust in the world series and a lot of that small ball stuff kind of went away and it was the timely hits that got them past the braves the padres uh and same thing with um the series against uh the Cardinals too, and the first that they just didn't have. There was a it was a tweet from John Clark, who's from NBC Sports Philadelphia, who was like, it was Hoskins, Castellanos, Schwarber, um, Alec Bohm, and like uh, one other guy who were they were all sitting after the game, still in full uniform, not showered, sitting around in the locker room drinking a beer and just like talking about the season, and all those guys like it's, it was such a lovable team, and. uh but credit to the Astros, too, because with all the shading shit, they are a fucking juggernaut of a baseball team. And uh, and they did what they had to do. So there you go. The podcast isn't actually ending as my mom texted me thinking, oh, my God, wait, what did you say? I was like, it was a joke, mom. <laughs> the podcast isn't going anywhere. Come on, Vic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we will uh, we'll, we will see. But nonetheless, there's a ton of good baseball or football, rather. To uh to transition yeah. to um, no more baseball, <laughs> no more baseball. And honestly, like the anxiety I was feeling watching all of those games, uh, was was actually like physically aging me a lot. Well, so. that's the that's the best part about playoff baseball. But 143 days till opening day, so you yeah. can you can take a breather for a while. Well said. Uh, and before we move on to football season, quick word from Alliance Accounting. The heart of football season is here. The autumn wind is blowing. The leaves are turning different colors. And while you watch the season's turn, you should turn to the team at Alliance Accounting for all your business and personal tax solutions. Alliance Accounting has all the tools and resources you need to be prepared for any season. Their dedicated and knowledgeable team will help, your, help you prepare for your federal and state tax return while you prepare for your family football game. Enjoy your company Thanksgiving potluck while the Alliance team provides you the bookkeeping you need to maintain your company's financial organization and success. Alliance is here to help you. And with tax day just a few months away, you don't want to get caught off guard like your Aunt Linda at Thanksgiving every year. Don't go cold turkey on your personal or business finances to end 2022. Turn over a new leaf this season with Alliance Accounting. Right now, you can get 10% off your first service with Alliance Accounting. Just tell Just tell them the Read Option Podcast sent you. That's 10% off your first service with Alliance Accounting. Just let them know the Read Option Podcast sent you. So Read Option Podcast listeners, visit the Alliance Accounting website at allianceacctng.com today or check out their Instagram at alliance underscore accounting and get that 10% off your first service at Alliance Accounting. Alliance Accounting with you every step of the way. All right, let's get into... The NFL action from week nine. Uh, we will start with Thursday night football because while the Phillies were causing me to go gray, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles were also playing at the same time. And throughout the first half, not going to lie, didn't feel great, Scott. Didn't feel great. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have. I mean, it, it, it was a different looking team on defense in particular. Uh, they were just a, a sieve in the run game. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Jordan Davis wasn't in there plugging it up and Fletcher Cox had to be out there every down um, at at, uh, at the D tackle position. So, uh, you know, that depth was a huge problem. Damian Pierce ended up with 130 something yards on the night, but he was going off in the first half. Uh, and, and I think that was a big part of it. 
there was uh, the Jordan Davis factor. Absolutely. I mean, his snap, we, we talked about this over the last couple weeks before he got hurt, his snaps were going up. Um, but I'll be honest, this one's on Jonathan Gannon. Um, Jonathan Gannon, who I've talked a lot of shit on over the years. Um, he's been great this year and the defense has been great this year. And this was the classic case of a team that thought that they could out talent another team schematic, like with the way that they approach this game. Um, there were multiple jumbo sets, right? Where we're talking about an extra offensive lineman, two tight end sets, a fullback in, and you essentially the Houston Texans showing eight blockers and the Eagles are in a base three, four front, right? And, and, and cornerbacks are playing 10 yards off the ball. Safeties are playing deep against Davis Mills, right? Where this is a game where look, daring is, him to throw the ball when he's not going to throw the ball. He's not going to throw the ball. Everyone if you're, if, if you're going to give <laughs> a, a team six offensive linemen and a tight end and a fullback, and you're going up against three down linemen and four linebackers, and one of them set up on the edge, doesn't matter who you're playing in the NFL, that team's going to be able to run the ball on you. So right. uh, yes, Jordan Davis not being there was, it was a problem. Uh, and this might be a thing until we see him come back from IR to figure out exactly, you know, how well this, like when the Eagles play the Titans coming up, like that's going to be a scary game without Jordan yeah, Davis in the middle. For sure. But hopefully Jonathan Gannon learned from this. Um, and look, they got it together in the second half. The Eagles also, I mean, they had multiple drives in the first half that dumb mistakes, the fumble by Hertz. Um, there was a few things that just, kind of caught this offense and slowed them down. What was interesting, though, and this is a sign of a good football team, despite all of that, I never thought the Eagles were losing this football game. There was not a single ounce of me when watching this game that made me think, oh, the Eagles are in danger here of potentially losing this game because the offense is that good. They were able to move the ball so easily. This was, I thought, despite Jalen fumbling the ball, I thought this was one of Jalen's most just like comfortable games. Didn't put up the craziest stats, but it was super efficient. He made big plays. He made the throws he had to make. A.J. Brown has another touchdown on that, uh, you know, in this game. Dallas Goddard has a monster day, and Dallas Goddard quickly becoming the guy that I thought he would be. Remember when you, me, and Vito did our fantasy football pods and when we were ranking our position players in the offseason, I had Dallas Goddard as a top five tight end for a reason because this is the ceiling he's always had. And now we're seeing it fully unlocked here. Miles Sanders is playing on by far the best football he ever has for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, I know yeah. there was always those insane stats for with him where it was like he was averaging like five and a half yards per carry basically his whole career. Well, it was the explosive plays, yeah, like yeah. The, the 70 to 80 yard runs. He was always – it was, yeah, exactly. It was always boom or bust. Now it's like he's breaking off seven-yard runs, it seems like, every other handoff. Uh, and the offensive line is playing at such an insanely high level. And Jalen Hurts is, is playing quarterback as well as anybody in the NFL. And with the Josh Allen bad game that we saw, which, look, Josh Allen's always going to have a bad game kind of mixed in there. It's kind of how he plays. Jalen Hurts is the front runner for MVP, and, and I don't think it's crazy to say that. He's been the best player on the best team, and he is the reason that they – because if, if this was Jalen Hurts of last year, this team's probably five and three right? Maybe six and two, but mm -hmm. Jalen being taking that massive step has put them to what I think I can confidently say is the best team in the NFL. Yeah. And uh, uh, again, we, I go back to the decision-making, right? Uh, AJ Brown's doubled. So we, we have Quez or, or Devante isn't out. 
Devontae only had two catches because they were ended up doubling him too over the middle. So, oh, by look, we have Dallas Goddard. Uh, why not utilize him and, and drop some schemes for him over the middle? Eight catches, a hundred yards, uh, and a touchdown for for Dallas Goddard. I, like it's it's endless. So last year, my point is last year when you saw, uh, and uh, again, granted they had they didn't have AJ Brown as a weapon last year, uh, but last year when you saw Jalen try to force the ball deep to Devonte. Uh, or try to to squeeze something into to Quez Watkins or 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 any of uh, Jalen Rager even. Um, you're not seeing that. You're like, I'm going to take what I can get because yeah. this offense is good enough. It has enough weapons, and I I'm HJ Brown is the cog that makes that whole thing go. The fact that he's on the field even is just threat enough. And then of course you have Miles who can catch the ball out of the backfield and is a great runner. You have. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell, who's who's great out of the backfield, and even and like is Quez a great Watkins, like Quez had two big like catches Watkins. in this game. Yeah, exactly. which he's been so. relatively quiet since the the bomb against the the Vikings, and it just feels like it doesn't matter who who it is. Like obviously AJ Brown's always going to get his, and Dallas Goddard's always going to get his. By product of this offense, one of those two guys is going to be the main guy in terms of like number one option, just because they run a lot of design plays for Dallas Goddard, but Jack Stoll made two huge third down catches yeah. in that game in the first half, right? You know, so when you're thrown to Jack Stoll on a, on a third and nine, you know, on your own 45, because you need a big first down, that just the fact that Jalen is seeing progressions to the extent that the fifth option in a pass set is Jack Stoll and he's getting the ball. It's just, it's an, it's an, ex, it's an exceedingly high level of football that, I always know knew Jalen had the IQ, but it was always can he tra- translate the IQ to the three seconds that you get dropping back to make that decision? And now he's doing it. And like Devontae, even like Devontae's such an insane third option in a passing offense because he's so good and gets so much separation. And what I love is it's like, and this is actually kind of a perfect reason why you draft a guy like Devontae. Devontae's used to sharing the ball. Now, like, his confidence, right? And like he like his competitiveness, like he wants the ball as much as anybody can. And he's gonna have monster days like he did earlier in the year against was it Washington when he had like yeah. 10 catches for 160 yards and the two touchdowns. Like he's gonna have games like that still because he is that dynamic, but he's used to playing with a Jalen Waddle on the other side of the ball or Henry Ruggs or Jerry Judy, right? right? And so he's and used to this thing. Like, like wide receiver room where it's like you're we're all fighting for reps. But if AJ Brown's leading the way, cool, man. We're winning football games. And last year it was just X receiver go. Like Devontae, just burn everyone with your speed and, and I'll get you the ball. Uh, and you don't have to do that this year. That's one of the things I brought up in our preseason uh talks about about the the Eagles. Is that hey, now you can just throw Devontae in in the into the Z spot, make him go like make linebackers or safeties have to cover him and draw coverage elsewhere because then you have Dallas. Goddard open, then you have AJ Brown open, um, who can just you know battle two guys by himself anyway. But still, yeah. like the point is that he takes away enough attraction on defense for somebody to be open. Well, and do you remember when Odell Beckham was in his like prime with the Giants? And it just seemed like and maybe you didn't notice this as much. I noticed it because we had to play him two times a year, but the quick slants with the o- o- OBJ were just Eli Manning to Odell every time, quick slant. And it would be like 10 yards every single time. Or OBJ would then make a move over the middle. And next thing you know, he'd be gone for a 70-yard touchdown. Like, 
and and the fact that the Eagles have that with AJ Brown, the AJ Brown quick slant is a guaranteed seven yards. And it's like they can always go back to that because AJ Brown just always beats his guy. And it's at this point, it's just it's a terrifying offense. And yeah, it's pick your poison. This, they're doing all this without Jalen having to be the runner. You know, he's a fraction of the runner that he was last year. The only time he's really running is when shit breaks down and he sees an opening can pick up 10 yards. And that's if like the, those back breaking third downs when Jalen is scrambling, the defense plays the coverage perfectly. And yet you have to account for number one and he finds his way out and picks up a big, big time first down. And he's just been, he's been so good at that. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun to see. The last thing I want to mention on this game, we talked about this pregame and I promise I won't rant too much on this, but there's there's been like a graphic going around Twitter and Facebook and stuff that I've seen a bunch, which is like pointing out the the you know it basically has all eight of the Eagles wins and like has a reason why it was like oh you beat you know barely beat this team barely beat the uh, the Detroit Lions week one you know barely beat this team whatever basically saying that the Eagles haven't played anybody. If there's one thing we've learned from the NFL this year. This year in particular, but everyone, and again, anyone who's paid any ounce of attention to football in their life knows that winning week in and week out in the NFL is fucking hard to do. Just ask the Buffalo Bills, right, who just lost to the Jets. Just ask the Kansas City Chiefs, who damn near lost last night and should have and already did lose to the Indianapolis Colts, who just fired their head coach today, right? Like, Winning games in the NFL is hard. It doesn't matter who it is. This isn't college where Georgia is playing Samford. And we're talking about, you know, completely different levels of talent. We're talking about winning week in and week out against professional athletes at the highest level is fucking hard to do. And will I say, yeah, is is it not the most impressive strength of schedule? No, it's not. And for this schedule that everyone was shitting on so far, their strength of record this year isn't number one or sorry, isn't like a bottom of the league. It's in the middle of the league. And their remaining schedule, which everyone has been touting off as, oh, it's so easy, it's so easy, is like the 12th easiest. So we're not talking about it being some insanely easy. They haven't played the Giants yet. They haven't played Dallas a second time. They have to play Tennessee, who we just saw as a really good defensive team, right? So I, I get it. I get why people and dumb sports fans want to make the jump and say, well, you haven't played anybody. They're dumb sports fans for a reason. And it pisses me off, A, because it's my team. But this is something that I've seen every year. And it very well could be the Steelers from two years ago who started off, what, 11-0 or 10-0. It could be the Cardinals of last year who started off the season 8-0. It might end up being that way. But those teams still started off their season undefeated, and it was hard for them to do that. So you got to give credit where credit is due. They're a good football team. I think they're the best and most complete football team in the league. And right now, it's getting harder and harder to make that argument because there's only one team that has one loss and no one else. So the Eagles are almost two games up on every other team in the NFL. So if you're one of the people who's doing that, don't be a dumb sports fan. Don't buy into that kind of bullshit. The NFL, it's hard to win week in and week out, even against the Texans, who, again, the Eagles very comfortably handled uh, in the second half of that game, outscoring them was a 15 to three in the second half. So we get it, but shut up. Uh, all right, let's move to the Sunday games. Let's start off with the game that I had said I was like sneakily most excited for this game. And it turned out to be a really wild finish because of course, when it's these two teams, there'd be no other way for them to finish the chargers and the Falcons 
Uh, Falcons start off on a big 10 nothing lead. I was very confident in the Chargers or in the Falcons winning this game. But Justin Herbert, man, this is a big time Justin Herbert game. Uh, the stats won't blow you away, but he was at without his number one, number two wide receiver. His number one receiving option was Josh Palmer and Austin Eckler out of the backfield. And they found a way to get the job done. Remember, we've talked about this Chargers team for most of the year. They have struggled to run the football consistently with this banged up offensive line, with the lack of talent around them. They found a way to pull this game out with Cameron Dicker, Dicker the kicker. He's been on two teams. He's got two game-winning field goals this year in 2022. This dude should be a full-time kicker in the NFL. Hopefully, this will this will get him there. Uh, but big win for the Chargers as they knock off the Falcons 20-17. to 17. Yeah, uh, they did what they had to do, right? It wasn't a pretty game. Uh, in fact, at the beginning of the game, I was starting to question that, uh, that run defense because Cordero Patterson came back. And started to run all over the uh, the Chargers defense as predicted. They haven't been very good against the run this year. But like this is one of those things where I ke- I keep telling you like the, they have to go back to to what they were the little stuff the easy little stuff that that made them good. Austin Eckler out of the backfield, yeah, he has fourteen carries for forty seven yards and a touchdown. But he also was had a receiving touchdown as well. He's one of the better guys out of the backfield, and you especially need that that crutch when you don't have Keenan Allen on the field, but you don't have Mike Williams on the field who are probably going to be out for the better part of the remainder of the year. So you're in fine ways to win mode, honestly, if you're Justin Herbert and, uh, and he got the job done. Absolutely. And Marcus Mariota kind of showed the Marcus Mariota that we've seen over the years, which is like so far this year, he hasn't killed them. He killed them a couple times in this game, uh, missed a couple of wide-open deep balls. There's one to Kyle Pitts that was right down the middle that Kyle Pitts had about five yards of separation. He overthrew him by a mile. Um, and I still love this Falcons team, but I guess the question here with this team is, realistically, the AFC we thought was going to be really, really tight and competitive, and it seems like a few teams have at least separated themselves. Like We know the Bills, are, despite the loss, are still really good. We know the Dolphins at this point are good. We know the Jets now are, you have to respect them. Chiefs know are good. The Titans we know are good. But other than that, it seems like there's going to be at least two openings there that I don't really know who it's going to be. I mean, the Bengals, big bounce back after losing a Monday night, but they're sitting there at five and four. How far realistically can this Chargers team go? Would you put them as that like, hey, this is the sixth team right now sixth or seventh team to make the playoffs out of the AFC. Um, yeah, I just think the South is a mess. Uh, obviously the, the North is going to cannibalize each other. Um, but then again, we, we might have three teams out of the East. Uh, so, so might have four teams. You might, well, yeah, you might have four. Um, so I'm going to say no for now, just because I've seen what they look like without their, their main weapons. Um, but and, and it's to me, it's not sustainable to go through an entire season because right now, what they look like on offense uh, and defense, for that matter, is the same version of them that we've seen for the last three years. It's dink and dunk. It's get the ball out. It's it's do little things to move the ball and keep possession, and then on defense, do just enough so that Herbert can have the ball late in the game uh, and, and hopefully make a play. That's the same version of them we've seen throughout Justin Herbert's career there. Uh, in, in with the Chargers, so 
I don't see that changing. And then the like, obviously, the AFC is is vastly uh, has vastly more depth than uh, than it has in previous years. So uh, I'm going to say no for now to answer your question. I just I don't know if there's anyone else that you really love. I mean, to me, that last spot or last two spots will be like the Jets, the Patriots, and the Chargers. You know, like I don't really know who else you who else you would consider in there. I mean. Maybe if Deshaun Watson comes back and the Browns go on a tear, if they can kind of hold bait at 500 for the last couple, you know, months of the season. I mean, weirdly enough, we're only a few weeks away, right? It was a 12 game suspension and the Browns just had their buy. So they're eight games in. So we're about a month away from seeing Deshaun Watson play. If the Browns can find a way to stay 500 and then maybe they roll off a couple of wins there late. Um, the Ravens, I guess, would be the other team. Right. I mean, because you're talking about the Ravens, the Bengals um, from the AFC North, the Dolphins, the Jets and the Bills. Right now, it seems comfortable to say that those three teams are all going to make the playoffs. But again, with this year, it's so hard to tell. And the Falcons, I'll say this too: the Falcons are not out of it because they're going to every single game is going to be like this for the Falcons. They're just going to be in a million really, really close games. And then they're going to get shit pumped by a team every once in a while. And that's pretty much how their season's going to go. And if they can win enough of those close games, I think they have a chance to end up maybe even still winning the division because yes, the Bucs won, but the Bucs don't look like a great football team right now, even with it. And Tom Brady does what Tom Brady does and was in a situation to do it. And we'll get to that game well, in yeah. a little bit, but because neither did the other side in that game look very good. So yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't know the AFC, the NFC South is still completely wide open. The Falcons and Bucks are both at four and five. Uh, the Bucks have the uh, win advantage over the Falcons, so they're in first place in that division right now. But tied record, um, really, really big win though for the Chargers. It felt like it was almost like a season saving win because with the injuries that they've had, they needed something to keep them afloat. Um, that was a great game, though. Let's talk uh, the shootout that everyone expected, the Dolphins and the Bears. Uh, Justin Fields, um, I'll, I'll pose it to you this way. Um, is Justin Fields the best quarterback of his draft class? Uh, right now. I mean, look, Mac Jones has not impressed me. Zach Wilson is uh, not good uh, and usually banged up. We haven't seen Trey Lance, uh, and so I, I, I'm with you. And v, I think Vito nailed it, man. Justin Fields, I, I think he has. I don't want to say the highest ceiling again because we haven't seen Trey Lance in in any depth or breadth. Uh, but right now, he's looking like the best among that group. Uh, he's more dynamic than all of them. Um, he can throw the ball better than than uh, all the guys out there uh, out of that class right now. Uh, and then obviously the record breaking 178 yards on the ground, yeah, uh, is huge. And and you know a, a, a product of it. A lot of people are going to say no, but that's a product of the offense that they're running, right? And again, we talk about this week in and week out. It's like this is not the the Bears uh, just overhauled their entire front office and coaching staff. This isn't their quarterback that they drafted, so they're going to implement whatever system they want, and Fields will have to fit in there somehow. Well, and they're giving but talent. Him a- Go ahead. Talent-wise, yeah, they're giving him a shot. And talent-wise, he's proving that he can do it. Yeah, and they're giving him a chance to succeed, right? I mean, they're giving him a chance in an offense that better suits what he does to give him a chance to win the football game. And I I still think I would lean Trevor Lawrence. Um, 
because I've seen I've seen enough consi- I've seen more consistency at things that will make Trevor Lawrence last in the NFL. I don't know if Justin Fields is going to be able to replicate. Obviously, the 178 yards, he's not going to be able to replicate that week in and week out. But it, it he's such a dynamic athlete that it does at least give them a chance every single week that they play. Of course, their defense is dog shit. Their offensive line is dog shit. So maybe you get better on the offensive line. You get some better talent around them. Um, how that pass interference didn't get called on Chase Claypool at the end of the game is beyond me. That was one of the worst no calls I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and that's not hyperbole. I mean, he had two guys tackling him and hitting him early. One guy from behind holding both of his arms, dragging him down. I'm not sure quite what the refs saw on that one. Can't catch the ball with no arms, Dano. No, you cannot. Um, but look, I it's hard to argue what we've seen out of Justin Fields and saying that, look, he's at least dynamic as fuck, right? He's an incredibly, incredibly athletic dude. Uh, and he threw the ball well in this game. Um, and I like that the Bears are at least running an offense to give, give him a chance. And he's playing with more confidence, which you can see what, it, what he's done over the last month. Um, I still would probably take Trevor Lawrence. Um, but I'll tell you what, the upside with the athletic tools with, with Justin Fields is, is real. Um, and then the Dolphins, man. It, here's, the thing we... with the, here's the thing with the Dolphins, man, because the offense is awesome. It's going to continue to be awesome. Mike McDaniel is an awesome coach offensively. I don't trust this defense. They don't rank particularly high in many measures. Um, they're pretty much middle of the pack. Bradley Chubb didn't really seem to make much of a difference. However, they were going up against an incredibly athletic quarterback. So that can and be it's his first game there. <laughs> but Justin Fields also lit them up like and not just on the ground. He threw he threw it well in the air, too, and had three passing touchdowns. So it's like I, I, I want to say that the Dolphins, the defense, all this stuff is an aberration. What I what I will say is it feels like the Dolphins are just going to be a shootout and crazy, crazy, chaotic team where they, they'll be able to beat anybody in the, in the NFL any given Sunday when they line up against the other side because Tyree Kill is just an absolute freak of nature. The backflip, I think, was the most impressive of all of his backflips. I, I don't know how he's. If able you're in to the front it. office, like seeing that, be like, no, but don't you're almost do like that. not worried about it because he's such a freak. Yeah. You're like, yeah, it's just like him. It's as casual as him strolling yeah, down the, the street, right? But the one time he tears an Achilles when he does that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this team is so explosive. 100%. And, and I still don't know what it is. But I just can't fully buy into them yet. And maybe it's because we saw the couple games without Tua, but they're undefeated in games and Tua starts and finishes. And the offense does look explosive. And Jeff Wilson made an unbelievable play. They just, they're continuing to find themselves in these games that they shouldn't, like this shouldn't have been a close football game. Right. And yet it was. Well, that's, that's the issue, right? Uh, is, I mean, they, they're, you talk about their overall defense is middle of the pack. They rank at the bottom in terms of tackling. Uh, they're 27th in the league according to PFF uh, grades for tackling. Uh, so you got, I mean, that's that's the premise, right? You you have to tackle the guys on offense, and a lot of that was the fact that they just couldn't get a hand on on uh, on uh, Justin Fields this week. But like, they haven't been good against the run all season, uh, and, and now they've they've plugged some of those holes with with dynamic pass rushers. But if you're going to blitz them the whole time, the run's still going to beat you. So. You know, you have to figure that out as well um, on defense. But I'm I'm officially ending the Tua debate. There is no – just whoever is still hating on Tua, stop. 
Just it's over. He's good. I, I'm not gonna lie to you, man. I I have to disagree. He's he's playing good football. That I will 100% say. But trade him and Trevor Lawrence right now. Trade him and Justin Herbert mm. right now. Right. Both of those guys, I think, would be having just as much success, which doesn't mean that Tua is not good. It just means that I don't know how good Tua is in this offense because of this offense, I should say. The offense works so well. The offensive line's playing incredibly well. Um, and they're doing it despite not having the best defensive numbers. I mean, they are last in the NFL right now in terms of coverage grades by a good margin. They're the and, only team in the end. They're the only team in the NFL with under a 50 and their coverage grades, according to PFF. And to your point, the best pass blocking offensive line in the league right now. Yeah. So the offense is great. The defense is giving up a ton of yards, not only in the air, but on the ground. And hopefully over time, Bradley Chubb will help that because they actually are ranking the middle of the pack when it comes to pressures on defense. I just, the offense has to continue to be this good. And when they don't have a dynamic offense, their defense isn't good enough to keep them in games. So when they go up against an elite defense, when they go up against a team like Buffalo again, when they go up against a team like Kansas City, um, who's playing really, really good defensive football this year, if they play a team like Tennessee in the playoffs, who's playing exceptionally well um, defensively, I don't know if they're going to be able to score enough because their offense is or because their defense is so bad. Um, but it's weird because there have been also there have been games where it's like, eh, this defense doesn't look terrible. And yet their coverage grade is last in the NFL. Their pressure grades middle of the pack. They don't tackle particularly well. They, have, they play good red zone defense. I'll give them that. But right now they're ranked 17th in the league in defensive rating overall, which is fine. But I don't know if that's good enough to win you a Super Bowl. Um, I'm with you, though. I, I'm not going to sit here and say Tua is a great quarterback. Tua is the reason they're doing this, right? Tua is in a great situation with a great offensive mind and a ton of speed and talent around him. It's very similar to what he had at Alabama, right? Great play calling, great head coach, great skill guys around him, and it makes Tua's job easier. In the last couple of years when we've seen Tua, when it's been more on him, he hasn't looked as good. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you can win with Tua, no question. But I don't know if the defense is going to be enough. Like, I think Tua is good enough to get them to the AFC Championship game. I just don't know if Tua is going to be – Tua is not the reason for it. I don't think their defense is going to be good enough to get them to an, an AFC Championship game or to a Super Bowl. That's kind of where I fall on that. All right, next game. Too much time on, on Tua. Tua. The Tua talk has been crazy. Um, Bengals, Panthers. Um, are the Bengals – which who who won 42 to 21 Joe, Joe Mixon career day, fifth highest fantasy point day of all time, five touchdowns in the win over Carolina, um, 28 points in the second quarter. Uh, are the Panthers the hardest team to figure out in the NFL right now? Yeah, I, because one week they, they well, maybe the Niners, but one week the, uh, the Panthers play lights out defense, beat Tom Brady and the Bucks, who, like, we know they're not good, but they're still first place in their division. Um, and the next week, they come back after that and play a really good Falcons team, a really good Falcons offense, and uh, 
and show up on on offense for once did the did the Carolina Panthers and then this week just come out and lay an absolute egg now look i this is not to say that Cincinnati's defense isn't good they held them to to nil points for uh for most of that game uh until late uh and uh, the Panthers just weren't able to do anything uh and on top of that Cincinnati was just pouring it on on offense. They were figuring out ways to do it all over the the field. It was not just Joe Mixon. It was, I mean, T. Higgins had seventy something receiving yards. Um, Tyler Boyd had had a, a decent enough game as a as a receiver. Um, and then Joe Burrow obviously is going to do Joe Burrow. So uh, for the Bengals, but yeah, I like the Panthers. I can't figure out like they don't they want to use Deontay Foreman as as a bell cow, but then we have three backs out there. Uh, running running equal opportunity. Uh Deontay Foreman had seven carries, Spencer Brown three, Raheem Blackshear three. Uh and so I don't understand. Uh you want to commit to the run, you don't. And then if you don't, you have DJ Moore as your receiver and you're only going to throw to him two times in that yeah. game. Like I don't understand what the logic is. Well I'm I might have fucked up there and said the Panthers. I thought I said the Bengals. Are the Bengals the hardest team to figure out in the NFL? <laughs> oh no, the Panthers are though. <laughs> but uh, to your I think, credit, I, I think I think it's the bang. I again, I thought I said, are the Bengals the hardest team to figure out in the NFL? Because the Bengals are to very similar, I guess, to the Panthers. I mean, the Panthers are just a bad football team. Um, they had their couple week stretch, fired the head coach, winning games for PJ Walker, um, and then they had the heartbreaker in overtime against Cincinnati. Um, I mean, against Atlanta. Um, the Bengals, uh, I mean, they looked amazing against the Saints, and then they lay a leg on an egg on Monday night against the Browns, and then they're up twenty. You know, right at the, one point in this game it was thirty-five nothing at halftime, right? So the garbage time touchdowns for the Bengals don't really mean anything um, unless you were taking alt spreads and live betting that game, uh, or have them in fantasy, or have somebody in fantasy. Yeah, but um, <laughs> this Bengals team is incredibly difficult to figure out because the defense is super inconsistent. Um, one week the pass rush looks amazing, and the next week it looks terrible. One week the offensive line looks like it's fixed. The next week Joe Burrow's scrambling for his life. Um, what I loved from Cincinnati this week was they committed to the running game. And, yes, Joe Mixon had an unreal day, but it was the situations that they just were constant. They were just like, hey, Joe Mixon, we're riding you, right? We're establishing the run game. We're a better football team than the Carolina Panthers, and we're going to bully them into submission – and run it all over your throats, especially without Jamar Chase. And this is how they're going to have to win games. Yeah. If, if Cincinnati is going to make a big playoff run, right, and try to replicate what they did last year, and they're going to try to get to the playoffs without, because we just talked about it, that last spot or two in the AFC is going to be up for grabs, um, especially if the Baltimore Ravens win tonight on Monday Night Football. All of a sudden, the Bengals are two games back in um, our game back, the 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 Ravens will be six and three. The Bengals will be a game back in that division. And the the rate or the Browns are not that far away either, weirdly enough. So they're gonna have to win games and they have to win them now, and they have to do it without Jamar Chase. And Joe Mixon's gonna be a huge reason as to why they're able to do that. And this was a great example of a good team coming off of a bad loss and sticking it to a bad team and saying, hey, we are going to win this game because we are better and we are we don't give a shit what you have to say. They didn't play down to the Panthers' level. They put their foot in the ground and said, we're going to bully 
this team into submission. I mean, Joe Burrow only had like 200 passing yards today. Like this was not the Joe Burrow show. Obviously we know whose show it was, but this is the team they're going to have to be. And credit to Zach Taylor for adjusting after week one without Jamar Chase and realizing, Hey, we got to change what we do offensively. We have to be able to run the football because if we don't, we're fucked without Jamar Chase. T. Higgins is great. Tyler Board's great. They're great second option, second, third options. When they're your number one, number two. I mean, T. Higgins, I think, is good enough to be like a, a low caliber, like, D, like tier one wide receiver. But they're used to playing with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. So the offense can't look the same. The offense has to change. They have to be able to run the ball. They have to be able to go downhill. Um, and I think the Bengals right now, as long as they continue this as their kind of identity, uh, I think the Bengals are going to be in pretty good shape. They're a team that I just don't want to play. I don't want to play Joe Burrow. I don't want to play T. Higgins, and I don't want to deal with Joe Mixon. And the defense for them, they showed up. They posted a shutout in the first half, and again, that game was completely gone by halftime. So the last 21 in the second half, that doesn't mean anything to me. The Bengals obviously were the superior football team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you looked at uh, anyone who plays fantasy who was prepping for uh, for Sunday's game, uh, and anyone who bets even too, uh, on the fantasy side, I think he was like running back 18 uh, among running backs in week nine. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to finish RB1, but uh, you know, you never know. <laughs> uh, I mean, hey, 50 I'd, points. Was it 51 f- fantasy 55, points? 55.1 fantasy points. <laughs> yeah, I guess PPRs. it's the pet. Yeah, PPRs, and, and, yeah. And so, um, so uh, wrong there. And then uh, I think betting wise, the it was like plus one forty something uh, for him to score uh, one touchdown. Yeah, uh, he blew that out of the water. So yeah, but look, man. And the thing is, like, this is a good time to establish this identity. You right right now, uh, as we speak, we have no idea how long Jamar Chase is going to be out. He could come back a week after the buy, or, or two weeks after the buy, or he can come back. You know, week 14, 15, 16, we don't know uh, the extent of that injury. And and there's conflicting reports as well. So the point being that, as you said, even if you, first of all, this is how you have to win now, establishing that uh, identity in that run game. And two, if and when Jamar Chase does come back, that's just an additional uh, arm that you have of your offense that you can use to to absolutely blow teams out of the water. Yeah. Uh, and and so I think that that is is huge for their progression. Well, and they need uh, they need to roll off some big wins here uh, after they have a bye week this week, and then they have at Pittsburgh, at Tennessee, and then it's home against Kansas City, home against Cleveland, at Tampa Bay, at New England, home against Buffalo, and home against Baltimore. Um, so really schedule. Yeah, there's only about one game on there that I would say confidently that that feels like a, like, a, like an easy win, but. I believe in Joe Burrow, and I think this team has a chance. Again, if they run the ball the way that they're capable of – because it's not like Carolina is a slouch defensively. They've been a pretty good defensive team. This is by far their worst showing all year. Um, If they're able to run the ball consistently, they're going to be able to put up a lot of points still, even without Jamar Chase. Uh, All right, let's move on here. Um, Packers and Lions. Um, Question for you here, Scotty. How many more years of Aaron Rodgers are there? Which I know is the hot take question that everybody's going to be like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't. I'm just, he just signed years this. Years are good years. It's just years at this point. Cause I don't know what's good and what isn't anymore. Like, I don't know how well, many good years are left. Well, here's the thing. Because there was a difference to me watching this game. 
right? Aaron Rodgers missed on throws that he, in the time that I've been watching him, except maybe since his rookie year, those are throws he doesn't miss. Like, it, it, it was alarming. He was under-throwing guys. Um, uh, Lazard on, on one play, he had three interceptions, all of which were under-thrown. Um, and it just didn't look... Something's not right uh, to me. And so, I, again, we, we've asked this question before. Who are you more worried about, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> I think it's... After watching what we saw in week nine, I think it's Aaron Rodgers, man. I don't know how many good years are left. I'm going to say maybe, you know, maybe two if they get him a, a weapon worthy enough to, to you know, be a part of that offense. But again, it it goes back to some of the, the, the details uh, that he just doesn't make the, the those sort of mistakes um, that, that we saw in week nine. So, I'm going to say two uh, as as a conservative number, hoping that uh, the Packers, uh, who have a great history of getting uh, receivers enough for Aaron Rodgers to be successful in their offense, uh, I'm going to say two, uh, two more good years. <laughs> but it it looked bad though, right? I just I can't believe that this all because the thing is is the the defense that we expected from Green Bay all year finally kind of showed out. And look, Aaron Jones got hurt. They're dealing with injuries all day, but. You're they, before this game, the the Lions had the worst defense in the NFL, statistically, um, and yet they couldn't put up more than nine points. Three red zone interceptions for Aaron Rodgers. Like this feels, and I, the reason I'm cautious with asking the question is, remember, it was only a few years ago that the the uh, the Packers got to six losses, and Aaron Rodgers went on in a post-game conference, right, past press conference, and said, we're going to run the table. And you know what they did? They ran the fucking table, and they made it to the playoffs, right? And and with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, I just never – it's the same thing with Brady, too, despite both their, those teams not looking good. You just never feel comfortable, you know, just ruling those exactly. guys out, right? Um, but this does feel different, right? It, it feels like there's a detachment from, from Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, right, from the coaching staff. And Aaron Rodgers, it feels like it's like this battle. Difference almost, yeah. And 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 Rodgers coming out, and the thing is too is like when they're winning, like they were last year, and Rodgers would say some shit in in the media, right on McAfee's show. People kind of just would turn a blind eye, right? It's like, oh, well, they're winning; it doesn't matter. When he's calling out saying, "Yeah, guys are making mental mistakes, and we need to cut the reps of people who are making these mistakes," and then he throws three interceptions in the red zone. Um, yeah. And I know one of them wasn't his fault necessarily, but he drilled a, a defensive lineman in the face and popped the ball up. Like that's just mm-hmm. like Aaron Rodgers kind of feeling lazy. And that's kind of, it just feels lethargic. It just feels like it's the same yeah. thing that we saw. It's the, it's the same thing we've been seeing with Tampa Bay, which is like this offense is just painfully boring. Yeah. We're seeing it's all the, of this pre-snap motion from the dolphins and the Eagles and, and the chiefs and all these fun offenses, the bills and then you look at this team's offense and it, it's it feels so archaic and, and they're stubborn. not even yeah and stubborn <laughs> they're not running the ball effectively which still doesn't make sense. Yeah. I just I I can't put I can't figure it out but I know what my eyes tell me and the eyeball an, test doesn't look good. It's an apathetic inattention to detail is is what I was trying to get at with well with Aaron Rodgers like it, it's just like that's that's the portion of the game that 
just came second nature uh, to him. And now, like th this year as a whole, if you look at the body of work, but particularly it stood out uh, this week against the Lions. It just looked like that that attention to detail isn't there. There's an apathy that it's just like, eh, I'll go out there, sling the ball, throw a couple hundred yards. Maybe we win, maybe we don't. Maybe I throw three touchdowns, maybe I throw none. But we're also um, seeing him like freak out on the field and want to slam his helmet and scream when he's making these uh, yeah, poor he decisions. Had I look he had at the it, Brady uh, window surface toss, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, game. remember before the season, I was talking about why I was still in on the Kansas City Chiefs and why I was in on the Packers, and it was for the same reason, um, because both of those teams lost Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, respectfully, right? And I had said, well, between Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, this is going to open up their offense in a different way. It's going to allow for Mahomes – to, to feature guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Travis sure. Kelsey, McCall which, Hardman, all these guys. Which you've seen over the past couple of weeks, which we've especially seen. with Juju. Why we haven't seen a similar effort out of this group in Green Bay, where there's still a ton of talent on that roster. Robert Tunyon has looked really good at times, and it just seems like Roger, it, it, it feels like it's <laughs> so a Rodgers hard. issue. So is Watson, but like, yeah, exactly. But like LaFleur is a creative head coach. LaFleur is the one who wants to do all this pre-snap motion. Like when Rodgers was on Pardon My Take and when I've heard him on other shows, he's talked about the reason they butted him and LaFleur have like not butted heads, but have kind of had like this like back and forth relationship is because Rodgers wants to keep the stuff that he did, the West Coast offense, where he can read the defense ahead of the snap. And LaFleur wants to do more of this creative McVay, Andy Reid, pre-snap, fun, offensive kind of setup. Kyle Shanahan's the same way, McDaniel in, in Miami, right? He wants to do those things. LaFleur it's the does, next evolution of West Coast. Right? But Rodgers wants – so it's been this, like, compromise of, like, all right, we're going to do some things you want to do, and we're going to do some things LaFleur wants to do. And Rodgers has been stubborn about it. It's He's been vocal about not wanting to do this pre-snap motion shit, even though that's what's working in the NFL because the defense is yeah. now, as we've seen this year – have gotten too good at defending your basic shit. And one of the things that I think it comes down to is you have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is incredibly coachable. He's younger. He's got a legendary head coach. They're going to be able to work together and figure out a way to make this new offense run. You take out Devontae Adams where it's like, hey, even if like I get some of my plays, at least I know I have Devontae Adams. That's kind of where Rodgers' head was at. Well, now you don't have that. So you either have to buy into what your coach is doing and work together and come up with something new to get all of these new pieces involved, or you're going to suck and you're going to see a stagnant, boring offense that's failing to connect because you're throwing to Alan Lazard and Antonio or, and Romeo Dobbs and, and, and all these guys who, you know, are not Devonte Adams anymore. And it's this young quarterback in his prime with a legendary head coach who's willing to be coached and an old stubborn quarterback with a young head coach who still is relatively, I mean, you can't, it's hard to say unproven given how many games LaFleur has won to this point in his career, but he hasn't won a Super Bowl, doesn't have the pedigree that Rodgers or that Andy Reid does. And Rodgers wants to do what Rodgers wants to do. And that yeah. is the big difference because in a lot of ways, these two teams are set up to be in similar situations. Obviously, sure. I mean, Rodgers that was the preseason talk, Kelsey, but yeah. you know, but that coach quarterback dynamic is very different. And even though those two teams were in very similar spots and it's clear that Rogers has been more of the problem, I think as the season has gone on. And as a, as a franchise with the success that you are accustomed to and with the 
uh, still obviously one of the greatest quarterbacks that's ever played the game. No question. And Aaron Rodgers, you're not in a position, even at three and six, to be like, you know what? I think we can uh, punt this season and go get our quarterback of the future. That's not an option for the Green not Bay when Packers. You just, not when you just gave him the $150 million guarantee that you just exactly. gave Exactly. <laughs> you know, his dead cap hit next year is $99 million. Oh, my God. The what a largest, terrible contract. The largest, I believe, in NFL history. And it shouldn't be, but Rodgers, this, and I, I don't want to take anything away from the Lions here because the Lions won a gritty, fucking hard fought game and they needed that shit. And Dan Campbell, I hope Dan Campbell shit. had a, I hope he had a good beer, a nice cold beer. I was beer just going to say, I hope he had more than <laughs> one. I hope he had as many beers as Dan Campbell wanted because Dan Campbell seems like a dude who, like, when he brings a 30 rack over to your house to drink, He's just, that's it's his gone. stash. That's his yeah. stash. He's like, I don't know what you guys are bringing. I brought mine. This is BYOB. I'm bringing a 30 brought, rack. Of, I brought mine Narragansett's, boys. Yeah. <laughs> he's 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 got a sleeve of dip cans, and he's got his 30 rack of bush light. And he says, I don't know what you guys are doing tonight, but I came prepared. Everybody you know? knows one. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. But so I do hope that they celebrated that win. It's a huge win. Again, Dan Campbell seemingly was on the hot seat there. Um, and this is a huge win for them. But for Rodgers, man, like at this point, this isn't a like I'm not blaming the coach here, right? This isn't a Kingsbury yeah. and, and well, Kyler Murray you? thing where it's like I want to blame Kyler Murray, but you know that they're going to get rid of Cliff before they get rid of Kyler. This is one of those things where it's like this is on Rodgers. He was he's been stubborn this entire time since Lafleur has yeah. gotten there, but he's always had the safety blanket of of De- Devonte Adams, and now Devontae's not there anymore. And a good defense. And he's just being as stubborn as hell. And I get it. You know, Dobbs has dropped has dropped passes. Lazard's dropped passes. They don't have a, a go-to guy. Do you know why they don't have a go-to guy? Because Rodgers wanted his $150 million. Mm-hmm. So at some point, I feel like the the if it's a Venn diagram, Rodgers in every – here are all the reasons why. Yeah, he's the, the common the, denominator. The, he's the common denominator this yeah. year. Because Matt LaFleur is a damn good coach. Like I, I refuse to believe that Matt LaFleur is not a good coach. Um, they also lost their offensive coordinator to the Chicago Bears. Um, and obviously they lost Nathaniel Hackett, too, to the Denver Broncos. So they lost two guys off that offensive staff from last year. But a lot of this just feels like someone who knows football as well as Aaron Rodgers does, he needs to just put the ego aside a little bit here, man. Because yeah. this game was on – a lot of it was on Aaron Rodgers. Um, all right, next Agreed. up, last game. We'll take a or last game before we take a quick break. Uh, Colts, Patriots, uh, ass kicking, absolute ass kicking. Pats didn't look good, uh, offensively, but they did enough. Um, I don't really know what the Pats are as a team. No, it's so no weird. idea. <laughs> it's so weird because it's Belichick still. So you kind of and, and like my whole upbringing is to just assume the Patriots are good. So it's this like subconscious Uh, thing in the deep recesses of my mind. That's like, I see the Patriots logo. I see the jerseys. That means the Pats are good, right? It means 10 wins. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, isn't that wild? We're going to have like two, uh, probably four generations that, uh, or three generations at least that think that, uh, that's that way. And, and look, they're still incredibly well coached and Matthew Judon's having an unreal season right now, 11 and a half sacks through nine games um, for the Patriots. He's well on his way to be in that TJ Watt conversation from a year ago. Obviously he has to keep it up. Um, but 
I don't know, man. Like the Colts obviously are a bad football team, and we'll get to the the more pressing thing, but I just want to touch on the Pats here for a little bit. Mac Jones doesn't look great. I still don't understand the offensive situation. And with how bad the Raiders have been, imagine if just Josh McDaniels just stays, right? If Josh McDaniels just stays in New England, I feel like the Patriots, because the defense is really good, I feel like the Patriots are a lock to make the playoffs almost. I mean, they're five and four still might, but. Yeah, they're frisky. Look, but you're, you're absolutely right. I have no idea what they are. Uh, at least like with Bailey's happy, we know it's going to be like, Hey, they're going to run the ball uh, and they're going to stuff the ball down your throat and they're going to like force you to, uh, to be better on offense than their run game is. And most of the time it's not going to work because they have two really dynamic backs and Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris when he's healthy and a really good offensive line. When Mac Jones is back there, it's like, is he going to throw? Do we trust him to throw? Uh, and this is, this is part of the equation that, that we talked about earlier with, with, who's the best quarterback out of that class. This is why I don't, you know, Mac Jones hasn't taken that step. I don't know if it's a trust issue with Bill Belichick. I don't know if it's the offense that, that they're running. Uh, If they just want a competent enough guy, why would you waste a first round draft pick on a competent enough quarterback when you've got Bailey Zappi back there, who was drafted in the, in the what seventh round that is doing the same thing that Mac Jones has done all year. Right. And so I don't understand what that offense is, and that defense has gotten better each week that they've played. I, I mean, at the beginning of the year in the preseason, I was like, I don't know what this defense is going to look like, save for Matthew Judon and and uh, Devin McCourty. There's not a single name on this defense that you could identify the other nine positions. None. Yeah. Not yet, one. And yet they were still... terrible. And, and yet they're getting better. And, and this this is a credit to the coaching. Uh, of Bill Belichick. And then, uh, and that's the thing is on offense, there's no organization in in the offensive coaching, coaching room uh, still. And, and they're, you know, trying to figure that out. So they put up enough points. I mean, look, 26, uh, 26 this week, they, they've, they've won a couple of these games here where they put up 25 to 35 and, and just held their opponents uh, to, to uh, like 15 or less points. So, yeah. yeah, it, it's wild to me what what the Patriots are looking like, and and you know, if this can, I, I and it, it, if this continues, it will, uh, because it's a Bill Belichick team. This is a this is a Bill Belichick kind of game. It is, it is, and it's a classic. And this is the kind of shit that Belichick will do forever. He sniffs out the inferior opponent in front of him, and he beats them by a lot. That's just what he's done his whole career. Doesn't matter if it's Mac Jones or Matt Castle, or whoever, you know, and and it's funny, the more and more, yeah, but it seems like the more and more we've watched, you know, last year's Pats team, even the year before with Cam Newton, um, and then this year, it just all kind of feels like the Matt Castle year, where they went nine and seven and made the playoffs, and they kept their streak alive and all that stuff, but that's kind of who this team is, which, again, Belichick can't do everything, no team in the NFL, and honestly, this is, I feel like the fact that he can put up winning with put up winning records with bad quarterbacks or at least middle of the road at best kind of quarterbacks like Mac Jones, who's young or whatever, still developing and Bailey Zappi is a testament to how good of a coach he is because look at the other teams and what they do when they have a middle of the road quarterback or a quarter, like a quarterback like that. Like it's so hard for them to win and win consistently. Yeah. And Some yet might still say able to keep them above 500. Right. And it's, it's like, yes, Tom Brady, <laughs> 
absolutely was a huge reason why they won. It's why I've always said it's 50-50. But these examples, though, I mean, what I, I don't know exactly what the record is over the last three seasons since Brady left, but it's above 500. Oh, it I mean, has given, to be, yeah. Given this, the state of where their roster is and, and everything else that they've had to go over and the lack of star talent, that is all attributed to Bill Belichick, and there's no other coach in the league who's able to do those things given the same amount of talent that Bill Belichick has, has been able to get out of these teams. So I, I know, I mean, they're the 12th ranked defense according to PFF, but they're the only thing that's holding them down though is the red zone offense. Other than that, they should, they're like a top five defense. If you take out the, because they factor in coverage grade, pass rush grade, tackle grade, and red zone defense. If you take out the red zone defense, which I get is a big part of it. Um, they're like the number five defense in football this year. So um, yeah, they just keep finding ways to win games and it's crazy. And I don't know what they do. I mean, Mac Jones is going to be the guy moving forward. He didn't play terrible, but a lot of it's going to be the defense has to play great. We have to be able to run mm-hmm. the ball and Mac has to make just enough plays for us to win football games. Um, the Colts, however, are a bad football team. And uh, as we found out today, Frank Reich has been relieved of his duties as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Um, and in comes, wait for it. Jeff Saturday. Wow. Right out of Bristol. The old center. Yeah. <laughs> um, coming out of the NFL live studio and on to a sideline near you. Um, I, okay. A, we'll get the Frank Reich stuff done and then we'll talk about Jeff Saturday. The Frank Reich thing. He could only rely on the lack of quarterback stuff for so long. However, Frank Reich did a pretty good job given what he was dealing with, right? He took that job thinking he had Andrew Luck for the next 10 years, right? That doesn't happen. Um, Then it's, all right, well, Jacoby Brissett played two good games for New England last year when Tom Brady was hurt. Maybe we'll give him a try. And obviously that doesn't work out. And then it's, all right, well, Phillip Rivers. We'll go get Phil Rivers. That was always going to be doomed to fail, right? As we've but seen they the same to the thing playoff. with Matt Ryan. <laughs> and they did, 100%. And, yet and they played well against the Bills. <laughs> yes, they did. Uh, and then it's Carson Wentz, who, again, they should have made the playoffs if Carson Wentz doesn't have diarrhea down his fucking leg in that game against Jacksonville. <laughs> and he does. Week then, 18, Jeffrey. <laughs> right? They miss, they miss the playoffs because the Week 18 game against Jacksonville. And now – it was Matt Ryan this year and Sam Ellinger has no shot. It's like Frank Reich deserves blame here. There's no question about it, but also we, we make this excuse and I've made this excuse for Jalen hurts all the time. This is the first year in Jalen hurts career that he has had the same offensive coordinator in back-to-back years since he was in high school, hmm. literally look what's happening for six years. Right. <clears throat> the same thing can be applied to a coach and a quarterback. It's more rare. We don't see a quarterback cycle like that as often as we do, uh, as as we have seen with the Colts over the last five years, but consistency matters. And I love Frank Reich. He's going to get another job, probably not as a head coach. He'll probably go be an assistant somewhere. Um, It sucks because I think Frank Reich's an awesome coach. Um, but at the same time, he didn't do well, enough on his end, and I'm sure he's yeah. the first one to tell you that. Results are all that matters. But uh, what else is he supposed to do? Chris right. Ballard's going – I mean, he's not the one signing these guys. He's not the one that chose Jacoby Brissett. 
He's not the one that chose Philip Rivers at 40 years old. He's not the one that chose Carson. I mean, he he at least had the connection. Well, and that to guy got Wentz, fired but, too. So, <laughs> and and look what we've seen everywhere the Carson Wentz goes. Carson's been more of the problem than he's not been. So I I feel bad for Frank Reich because I have a soft spot for him. Obviously, he was the OC when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. However, there is fair criticism to be levied, and at the same time, I think people are being too harsh on what he's done over his time as the head coach of the Colts. True. I and for one of the better offensive minds in the game who helped you in your Eagles win a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, what we've seen out of out of the offense in uh in Indianapolis is not anything staggering uh or or league altering uh or forward thinking even as we've seen out of some of the uh some of the other head coaches, uh, which is again what part of what helps you win a Super Bowl, uh, especially with Nick Foles at the helm uh, for the Eagles. But like You've got maybe the best running back in the game, uh, and, and even a serviceable quarterback would be good enough to to do that. Their offensive line has drastically underperformed this year uh, and looked horrific at times, uh, which which has led to the fact that Jonathan Taylor is now injured and banged up and uh, and has missed a couple of games. Um, I believe his third in a row this week, uh, but. Everything else, man, like it's 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 a bunch of moving pieces. And of course, like the head coach is always uh, usually going to be the scapegoat of it. Um, and it, it's a shame because, like I said, Frank Reich is one of the better offensive minds in the game. And I and I think he he will, as you said, get another job somewhere. Uh, but this I go back to this, man, like all the time. Um, and I've asked you this question before on the podcast. Like I'd rather be the greatest offensive coordinator in the game then go somewhere as a head coach and fail. Like it, it is, but it's just not how these guys are wired. And like yeah, again, no, you, I, you and I, I are I that it. way. I'd be like, yeah, yeah but you want to pay me a million dollars a year and I'll be an offensive coordinator and we'll win Super Bowls like Josh McDaniels and we'll have a great time. Uh that's awesome. But even a guy like Josh McDaniels, it still bugged him all those years. He almost yeah. took the Colts job. He didn't and then he almost and then he goes out and takes this Raiders job and he as of right now, um Josh McDaniels has the worst active win-loss record uh, of any coach in the NFL and yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, over his career, right? But um, that's the risk you run. But it's also these guys are only in the positions they are because they're so ultra competitive. Um, True. Let's, let's talk about his replacement, though. Um, An interesting one. Jeff Saturday coming off the bench. Um, he's been a head coach at a private – uh high school uh, i believe in texas and is now going to be the head coach of an nfl team um this feels like a guy coming in to just set a culture right uh, maybe not set a culture maybe ease down what's going on there right he's the tums of the situation uh he's coming yeah, in colt's just, guy yeah it's jim Mercer's guy lifer, and, like hit the reset button right we trust you here are the reins. Just, just get us through the season. Keep the positive, you know, energy. Make sure that our Quentin Nelsons and Jonathan Taylors don't demand trades and aren't asking to leave. Keep them happy. Um, or maybe they're thinking he could be the head coach soon, right? I mean, this is it's crazy because we've seen Lewis Riddick, right? Like interview the ESPN analyst, interview for four or five GM jobs at this point. And he used to be an assistant GM and worked in front offices for years. So it's not new to see an an ESPN guy kind of tip his toes in the, or dip his toes in the water a little bit. 
But this is different. This is like midseason. We're bringing you in. I don't really have a firm like take one way or the other. I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen. It's going to be really weird because Jeff Saturday has been at ESPN for like a decade. And now he's going to be on the sidelines. And it's like my brain sees Jeff Saturday in those piercing blue eyes. And you expect to see him on, on your TV screen in Bristol in a suit and not on the sideline of the Indianapolis Colts. But what I will say is guys like Dan Orlovsky and Marcus Spears, who have worked with him, um, freaked out when this news came across. Um, I'm also fascinated to know uh, there was a Colt who got into the uh, Colts Hall of Fame this weekend, or it might have been last weekend, um, where they did like a ring of honor ceremony for one of the offensive linemen during uh, the Peyton Manning era. And he was in Indy. And I'm like, huh, like kind of like Charlie and always sunny, like putting all the points together on a yeah. map. I'm like, how well, is uh, well, Jimmy or say it side just, convo. <laughs> it just feels so far out of left field yeah. that there's no way that Jeff Saturday didn't know this was coming ahead of time. And for him to have been willing to just pack up and, he would have had to talk to ESPN and, and I, if he's looking at this as a potential chance to get the head coaching job moving forward, it, it's just the whole thing is bananas to me. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, but I feel like the ESPN is also always a fallback. Like he can, you know, if this is just a, a culture thing, he can go back to ESPN whenever the hell he wants. I love this. I'm all in. Let's do this. Uh, Peyton Manning, your OC, uh, Reggie Wayne, your wide receivers coach. Let's do this. Bring the whole band back together and, and let's make this happen. Go get Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and, and make the Colts relevant again. Uh, yeah, I um, man, it'd be crazy. I, I kind of, I just hope it works. I don't know. Like I just, that's the thing. It's just, it's so weird. It's, there's no precedent for it really of a guy mid season coming in. Can you think of any? I mean, like we have like Mike Mayock, no. but that was an off-season thing. We've had Gruden, but Gruden was a head coach before. Yeah. I can't ever remember a guy who has no NFL coaching experience. Obviously played in the NFL for 15 years. This, this but, happens a lot in baseball. I've never seen this in the NFL, though. Yeah, this is like Aaron Boone coming in and being yeah. the manager. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the exact same thing. Coming from ESPN, coming in to be a manager. It's so different for football because being a football coach is so much more – there's so much more to do. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It's I'm fascinated. I, I love this story um, and I hope it works out. I hope Jeff Saturday is successful, but man, it inter- you know I know he's, he's called he, Peyton, right? You know, that? he's called Peyton. Oh, yeah. you know, he's called Peyton to be like, what do you think? Fun? What do we do? Well, I mean, if Peyton ever were to do it, Peyton, Peyton would be the head coach. Peyton's not going to be an offensive coordinator anywhere. The amount of money that his production company is getting from ESPN and all the stuff they're doing, he's not coaching anytime soon. He wants his life. Um, but I don't know, man. I just I'm so fascinated. This is crazy to me. Um, I'm like more excited about this than anything else that happened this weekend. Edrin you know, James, your running max coach. I mean, bring the whole band back. Marshall Falk, <laughs> you know, they they I saw in that picture with uh Marvin Harrison Sr was there at that retirement ceremony or that oh, Hall of Fame. Go get his son. Can you imagine in the draft? That'd be awesome. Oh, baby. Um, I think he has one more year before he's draft eligible, but yeah, we'll see. All right, let's take a quick break because uh, we've got some more games to get to. We want to talk a little college on the other side, so a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, moving on here. We Next up, we have a bunch of games left that were good games. Again, all these were remaining games or one-score games. Um, Bills, Jets. 
The New York Jets pull off big upset. Scotty, man, if you've if you've bet the Jets this year, you're what? I think they're six and two or, or six and seven and six two and three now against the spread. Seven now? and two against the spread. Yeah, yeah. I mean the Jets finding a way <laughs> to get it done. Um, the defense is sick, but I'll, I'll say this: this felt like the classic, and I alluded to it earlier, but kind of like the classic bad Josh Allen game. But look, Josh Allen is still one of the elite players uh, in the NFL. No question about that. He is, in my opinion, a top two quarterback in the NFL. Um, But even the best still have bad games from time to time. And I think this was a bad outing from him. And he said it as much. Great quote at the end of the game uh, from Josh Allen, the starting quarterback of the Bills. Uh, It's hard to win football games when your quarterback plays like shit. And I love hmm. that. Um, the accountability. I mean, he had the, the pick on the opening series was horrible. Yeah, uh, that was and, one of the worst passes or decisions I've ever seen him make. Yeah, it, it was bad. He looked like young Josh Allen, right? He looked like rookie second year Josh Allen. Uh, that's not to take anything away from this Jets team. That is really good defensively. Uh, right now, they're the number one rated defense, according to PFF. So they're a good football team. Um, there's nothing to say against it. But the fact that they got slowed down this much uh, by the Jets was surprising because although the Jets' defense is good, I don't know if they're number one in the NFL good. But a lot of credit and this shut down Josh Allen good. Yeah, yeah. that that being and Stephon Diggs. That being said, they did. <laughs> Sauce Gardner is ridiculous. Um, but the unsung hero of this Jets team, and I've talked about this kind of theme with interior defensive linemen. Uh, it takes about two to three years for them to click, right? It happened with Fletcher Cox, happened with Aaron Donald. It's happened with every great interior defensive lineman, Chris Jones, uh, Jeffrey Simmons we've seen now in Tennessee, Leonard Williams with the Giants. Uh, and now we're seeing it with Quinnen Williams, who was a top five pick for a reason, because Quinnen Williams was an absolute game record just a couple of years ago at Alabama. And now he's like one of the highest rated defensive players in the league. Like, he's not going to have the stats to show it up, but if you're talking about just impact on a football game, there's only a handful of guys who have affected a team's performance defensively more than Quinnen Williams has this season. Yeah, he's he's been lights out uh, and, and just an unbelievable force in the middle, man. That's a great comp with, uh, with, with Fletch, uh, too, just because they're big-bodied guys and, like, still have the, the quickness and athleticism to get after it. Uh, well, and it's, it's something about that position. I don't know if it's like, you know, going from a 22-year-old out of college to a 25-year-old where all of a sudden now, like, your whole body is developed and you your frame has fully filled out. Plus, you now kind of have a few years of learning what how they're going to block and blocking schemes in the NFL yeah. and how to, how to attack it, too. Yeah, uh, which, which which is super helpful. And then to me on, on, on defense, the thing that's that's even more helpful is the veteran – presence that you've brought in right they brought in quanta and this is a lot of robert sala coming from the 49ers this is they brought in cj mostly who's on the 49ers who's been banged up but is really effective in games that he's been in uh who's the other one they brought in quan alexander at linebacker veteran yeah. presence uh, and, and they've got all these uh, sheldon rankins there's another one jordan whitehead comes over from the box who has a, a championship pedigree and he's been huge right and so he's and he's been a huge part of sauce gardner's development too not that sauce didn't have the the talent uh in the first place 
but but when those guys are around the young core of your defense that you're trying to build, it makes a world of difference, an absolute world of difference. And you've seen this with the the young guys on uh, on the on the Eagles defense too, right? Um, it's it's no different, and and I think that that's that's the core of of this team. That's that's the identity that that Robert Sala brought over to the Jets when he came over, uh, and it's really starting to come to fruition. I think ahead of schedule too. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I'm a, ha- a hater here because I love Robert Sala and and I love the, this defense. I'm still not a full blown believer in the Jets. Like well, I'm just, I'm not. I think the that's offense, easy to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it, the defense is going to keep them in games. It's, I, I honestly, it's they're kind of like the inverse of the Dolphins, where it's like the offense is awesome for the Dolphins. It's going to keep them in every single game because they're so dynamic. The Jets' defense is so good; it's going to keep them in every single game. Yeah. But Zach Wilson, I mean, credit to him. He bounced back this week after throwing the three picks last week and was a peaceful. <laughs> Full-blown game manager in this in this and made a couple yeah. of throws when he needed to. But they're gonna be in games where they're gonna ask him to make big time plays. And more often than not, I'm don't expect Zach Wilson to make them. He's gonna have mo that's kind of been the whole MO with Zach Wilson, which is that like out of nowhere, he's gonna make a big play and you're gonna be like, Oh shit, that was actually a really impressive throw. That was a really impressive play by Zach Wilson. More often than not, though. He's pretty pedestrian. But he's not happening. Yeah. And and he's going to be kind of middle of the road. I kind of, despite the fact that Jets win this game, it's a division game. It's a rivalry game. It's the Jets playing at home on a rainy day in East Rutherford. And I kind of walk away from this feeling pretty much the same about both teams because I'm kind of chalking this Bills game up to a bad Josh Allen game, which they're going to have sometimes. It's the NFL. Bad teams beat good teams all the time. Middle of the pack teams beat good teams all the time. Uh, especially this season, if that if you know what we've seen so far has taught us anything. I'll say this about the Jets offense. Uh if you're a Jets fan and not to to put on green colored glasses, uh, but objectively as a as a non-Jets fan, I'd be encouraged by the fact that you had uh Zach Wilson being an a, a astute game manager. And still being able to utilize James Robinson, who you got out of a trade, uh, out of the backfield. You still have Brees Hall, uh, who's hurt, who will be back next year. But uh, we're just talking this year. You got you got James Robinson. That's super effective. Uh, and then the the other thing that's uh, Tyler Conklin's been effective out of, uh, as a tight end for for Zach Wilson over the past couple of weeks. But the most encouraging is the connection that. I think we saw for the first time uh, with between uh, Zach Wilson and Garrett Wilson, yeah, uh, this season, and I think that's that was what the hope was when they were when they drafted uh, Garrett Wilson this year is that that would be uh, the sort of chemistry that they have, and I, I, the sky's the limit for that. But yeah. you know, it, it, the game management from Zach Wilson is huge, and then Garrett Wilson can go make you a play when you need to. He's that good. Yeah, and and I also want to put out Michael Carter too because when Brees Hall went down, Michael Carter was explosive as shit. And when he was at North Carolina, he was the explosive. I mean, Javante Williams was like the every down back. Michael Carter was the fastest lightning to Javante Williams thunder. Mm-hmm. Right, like that. That was kind of that backfield. And both of them, could I catch. Mean, I, yeah, they weren't like the classic thunder and lightning backfield, but Michael Carter was definitely more of the speedster, and he looked 
unreal in this game. 12 carries, 76 yards, had the big touchdown that won it, that essentially separated and won the game for him. Um, if you have that mixed with James Robinson, yes, it sucks to lose Brees Hall, but at least you have two running backs there that you feel confident giving the ball to. And then, yeah, Garrett Wilson um, being big for them. I mean, eight catches, 92 yards. Uh, <clears throat> that's that's going to be big. But that's also – Zach Wilson has to do this. He can't – he needs to do this, pick and choose a couple chances to air it out and slowly get a little more aggressive. But he has to lean on the side of being cautious and let the defense be the one that carries the flag for them. Um, yeah. And but, he's yeah, best I, when, he, when he sees like a couple drop, right? Like yeah. an, e- an easy couple of passes, and then you can kind of yeah, like... got to see one go in. It's like shooting free yeah. throws, right? It's exactly. get to the line. See a couple go in. It makes you feel better. Uh, but I walk away from this game not – I'll say this. The Jets cemented themselves as more legit than I thought they were. I don't really feel that much different than the Bills. Um, but the Jets are a really good football team, um, and this is a huge win. So I'm not taking anything away from the quality of win there because uh, it confirmed how good the defense is for this New York Jets team. Uh, up next, Vikings, Commanders. The Vikings, look, they don't pass the sniff test. They don't pass the eyeball test, yeah. not the sniff test. I'm not test. buying it. <laughs> I, I I don't see it. But if I'm going to make the argument for the Eagles that winning eight games matters, I'm going to make the same argument for the, for the Vikings. Because right now, there's one undefeated team, and there's one team that only has one loss, and it, they live in Philly and Minnesota. And the Vikings deserve credit. That throw and who is the Cousins, Vikings one loss, <laughs> right? To Philly, exactly. <laughs> um, the Vikings that throw from Kirk Cousins on the touchdown pass in the corner was that was an elite level throw. The Justin I, Jefferson touchdown. Yeah, it was the well the one in the fourth quarter was it the Justin? Oh no, no, it was the Dalvin was Cook. The first, Dalvin, it was the yeah. Dalvin Cook. The the fate. It was like this the wheel route. Um, yep. That was an incredibly difficult throw and it was only like a 15 yard throw so you look at it and you're like it doesn't look that impressive no that is the the touch and feel on that throw was unreal and a great catch by dalvin cook um and they also got benefit of the doubt with what i thought was a bad call um with two minutes left heineke should have had a chance to get onto the field with two minutes left instead they call and, and this is great coaching and great clock management the vikings accept the penalty they're able to milk the clock down to, I think it was like 13 seconds and they kick the field goal from like the five yard line to put them up and they go out and then win the football game. And that's what you have to do. It's not going to look pretty on the scoreboard. Um, but at the same time, we say it all the year, right? There are no pictures in the standings, right? Your, your win loss record is your win loss record. And the Vikings won this game. It was a yeah. big, it was a big comeback or yeah, I guess it was a comeback win in the fourth quarter. Um, the commanders, Frisky team, man. I mean, Heineke get, feels like they give them a chance. I th- I genuinely feel like if Heineke had gotten the ball there with two minutes left and the commanders still had a couple timeouts, I feel like they would have gone down there and kicked a field goal and won the game, or at least tied the game and forced it into overtime. They get the call from the refs. They're able to milk the clock down. That ends up being the end of the game. But um, I'll say this. I don't think the Vikings passed the sniff test. Hawkinson. They threw to him a lot, and he had a good game. Big. He had ninety plus yards, and they they incorporated him right away. Um, but the Commanders also sneakily a top ten defense in the NFL right now. Um, there's another one that's getting better each week, though, too, especially in the secondary. Absolutely. I mean, the Commanders could be five and four right now pretty easily, um, and I think they would have had a chance to go down, win the game, or at least tie it. But uh, again, 
you know, that's the way it works out. I, I felt like we got robbed of an exciting Tyler Taylor Heineke finish, but the Heineke uh, interception was like a classic Heineke interception where he overthrew yeah. the guy for, you know, 10 yards and it goes straight to the safety and Harrison Smith brings it back and almost scores a touchdown that pretty much ices the game and gives Minnesota a chance to kick the field goal. Um, but seven, one is seven and one. And you, yeah. it's hard to win games in the NFL. Uh, the one, again, like the one really good team they played Minnesota, they got shit pumped by. Other than that, though, there's not a whole lot of super impressive wins, but they've won the games they're supposed to win, which even in the NFL, you have to give credit for. 100%. Do you, uh, let me ask you this, too, because, you know, not just the record base or what we what we've seen out of uh, out of out of Vikings so far. When Kevin O'Connell came aboard, we all thought and and a lot of this went into the fantasy thing of like we all thought that offense was going to get way more dynamic and explosive. And like, here's why everyone should draft Justin Jefferson as the number one wide receiver this year in fantasy. Have you seen a, a world of difference to the level that you thought Kevin O'Connell would bring in offensively with the Vikings? Um, and is, if not, is that due to, to Kirk cousins being the quarterback or, or, or what's your rationale here? You hit it on the head. It's Kirk cousins. Yeah, uh, I mean that's the thing. Kirk Cousins will win you some games, and he'll he'll play really well in that one o'clock. Right, we'll see. Him I was in, classic. I, I, yeah, uh, two thirty. Kirk Cousins. Right? He showed up, showing up, and makes plays <laughs> when he needs to. Um, Kirk Cousins. Look, in that being said, Justin Jefferson's having a really good year. Like, the, yeah, he's still on pace for an insane number of yards, and the Vikings' offense is still going to be really good. I think Adam Thielen being banged up and definitely looking like he's slowed down a step. Um, I think that it factors into a little bit. I think they've part of what's made the explosive plays with Justin Jefferson. So big throughout his first two years was how consistently they ran the ball under Mike Zimmer. They're not doing that as much. It's much more dink and dunk pass offense, West coast offense um, and, and getting the ball into playmakers hands. And then they're just feeding the ball to Justin Jefferson whenever they can get a chance to Um the play action stuff they used to run with Dalvin cook and Dalvin cook, not being as explosive and not, you know, establishing the run game, I think actually hurt some of the big play offensive numbers. Yeah, agreed. Um, but I do think it makes them a more consistent offense, right? I think this, this, this is a team that will consistently put up points because it's not like the Vikings offense is, is bad by any means. Right. I mean, no, put no, up that's, that's not what I'm saying. Is, yeah, I mean, they I put just, up there would be plus. more dynamicism and, and, and explosiveness out of the offense than, than what For we've sure. seen. I, I think it's, it, it feels more like, kind of how the Packers offense has looked at times. And even like, you know, the first couple of years with, with McVay looked really explosive, but over time it was just kind of that, that kind of consistent picking up chunk yardage plays. Um, and, and you look at like, I mean, there's only one game this year that they haven't scored 20 or more points. And it was the game against Philly, but that's 23, 28, 28, 29, 24, 34, 20. So they're, they're scoring at a really high clip um, and they're just efficient. Like they just kind of find ways to move the ball but so far, yeah, you look at the you look at it, and and that's the thing too. Other than the Arizona game and the Philly game, um, well, I guess the and the Packers game too. But um, their one loss and two of their wins. Other than that, every single one of their games has been a one score game. Uh, Miami, they actually which, no, because which they tend those. to win. <laughs> yeah, it was one score against Arizona. So yeah, the only win on their regular on their schedule this year that's been a double digit win was the game against green Bay. Everything else has been a one score game. 
uh, and that's the Detroit, New Orleans, Chicago, Miami without Tua, uh, Arizona, and Washington. And all those have been one-score games. Now, the and even like the Arizona game last week, like they were close to finding a way to fuck that up. So uh, they play at Buffalo this weekend. Buffalo coming off of a bad loss. That's going to be a big test. And then they're home against Dallas and home against New England and home against the Jets. So they have four really good defenses, four top 10 defenses going up against in the next four weeks. This is going to be a huge stretch for the Minnesota Vikings uh, to see whether or not they are as legit as uh, as their record right now would indicate. But, hey, if they come out of that three and one, I, I'll tell I'll say right now, I, I think definitively, I think the Minnesota Vikings are the number two team uh, if, if they come out of this stretch three and one. Um, because at Buffalo, home against Dallas, home against New England, home against the Jets, they're all winnable, but they're all going to be probably three-point spreads, and they're probably going to be underdogs. They're definitely going to be underdogs against the Bills this week. I think they're like six-and-a-half-point uh, underdogs against the Bills this week. So it'll be an interesting stretch to see. Um, they get three of those games at home. But, yeah, I mean, look, credit where credit's due. They're seven and one. Kirk Cousins finding ways to win games, but they don't pass the sniff test. Uh, Raiders, Jags, Jags win this game 27 to 20. The Raiders stink. They stink. Yeah. They stink. They stink. Owen yeah. five on the road this year. Third time this year, they gave up. Uh, I think it was a 17 point lead. That's correct. Yeah. Five times between 1960 and 2021. Did the Raiders blow a 17 point lead three times alone this year? Yes. That was the stat that I was referring to. Thank you for having it handy. Um, the Jags, uh, this was a gutsy fucking win from the Jags. Uh, ETN has a breakout game. Uh, Tra- Trevor Lawrence made a couple of throws in this game that were elite-level throws, uh, and we want to see him do that a little bit more on the regular. I'm excited to see what they look like next year with Calvin Ridley, too. I mean, I, I keep thinking back to that <laughs> yeah. at trade deadline um, because oh, they're man. actually going to have some weapons there. Everyone's going to forget about that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, mm-hmm. That's going to be the sneaky fantasy draft next year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But then it'll be the thing that everyone remembers like three weeks before fantasy drafts and Calvin Ridley <laughs> oh, will that's jump right. up and he'll get incredibly overdrafted. So uh, don't overdraft Calvin Ridley, but do, you know, he will have been a year removed from football at that point. Um, But no, it's a huge win for the Jags. It's it's a huge win. Uh, And the Raiders zero points in the second half. I think that's the third time this year they've gotten blanked out in the second half. Um, Six out of the last in a row. (laughs) Let's say six out of their last eight quarters of football. They've scored zero points. Uh, And the Raiders came out and looked awesome. I mean, five Devontae Adams had 146 yards and two touchdowns on the in the first half and then we didn't see Devontae adams catch another ball for the rest of the game so um i mean he hey credit where credit's due the jags defense stepped up great adjustments at halftime this is a huge win um dougie p moves into fifth place all time uh by himself now on the uh on the raiders or on the jaguars all-time wins list by the way the name that's circling because obviously urban meyer but it was urban meyer it was somebody else and then mel tucker and I completely Mel Tucker wow. was the interim head coach went two and three for the Jaguars back in 2011. I had to look that up earlier. Cause I was like, when, hmm. when the hell did Mel Tucker, when was he the head coach of the Jags? He was the interim head coach. I believe after Gus Bradley was fired uh, in 2011. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and Hey, led them to two and three. So that's not bad considering 
you know, most people's track record, for their history, his yeah. winning percentage <laughs> is probably like in the top, like two or three for the Jaguars all time. Um, baby Mel. But nonetheless, big win for them and just a big win for a team that's young, that's trying to find their way. And uh, and it was a good confidence boost for for Trevor Lawrence. And luckily for us, we hit that one on the head. I almost took the Raiders and then I scratched it out and took the Jets. I'm glad I talked you out of it, buddy. You needed that one. I did. Uh, and, and look, since uh, you go back to Travis Etienne, since James Robinson has been traded, Etienne has gone over 100 yards on the ground with at least a touchdown in every game. Yep. Since tr- James Robinson has been traded, the dude's a monster. And, and and we said that when he got drafted and when he was hurt last year, uh, we, we we thought the potential could could be uh, was super high for him, especially with, with Trevor Lawrence as, as the quarterback. And uh, and we're seeing it come to to fruition again. So, I mean, the that team keeps building depth uh, and building building uh, some star talent at, at some critical spots. They're going to be okay in a few years. It's going to be a long building process for Jacksonville or the London Jaguars. We'll see. Time will tell. Uh, but we, but uh, they're going to be good in a couple of years. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, look, if they finish the season seven and ten, right, which is complete, huge, completely yeah. within the wheelhouse, that's a big, big jump. It probably puts them in second, maybe, in the AFC South. Right, because you figure Tennessee's yeah, coming. Not out of the question. So I love it. Um, all right. Next up, Seahawks, Cardinals. Another one we were right Gross. on. The Seahawks are good. Plain and simple. The Seahawks are good. Kenneth Walker's awesome. Uh, Gino is awesome. He's he's weirdly enough, he's him and Jalen Hurts are kind of following this like same trajectory where it's like they're playing super efficient football. They're making the right decisions. They're not forcing the ball. And it, I feel like this is just Gino having seen so much football, watched so much tape, prepped for so many games as a backup. He's just seeing the field in a different way than he ever has. The checkdowns, I mean, they were hitting those five-yard outs like they were nothing against the the Cardinals. Um, and the Cardinals are a bad football team. Um, I told, so that's that, what, I told that was everybody, be- stay the hell away from Kyler Murray here. Kyler Murray's terrible. The Cardinals stink, and the Seahawks are are a damn good football team. I love this Seahawks team. I love yeah, them. but but that's going to be my was going to be my question. It, was it the Seahawks being good or the Cardinals being a bad football team? Because no, I didn't come away with with a whole lot of confidence in the question you posed uh, last week about where the uh, where the Seahawks would be uh, down down the stretch with a with a couple more wins here. I didn't come away with any more confidence than I had going into this game. Well, I mean, hell, the Seahawks beat Arizona on the road better than the Eagles beat Arizona on the road. Eagles beat them by three. Like this, the Seahawks or the, the Cardinals are a talented football team. They're incredibly poorly coached and incredibly dis, uh, uh, dysfunctional, but they have a ton of talent. So they're going to play teams close. The Seahawks have played every single team close, or the Cardinals have played every single team close that so- they've played this year. The fact that the Seahawks, at one point, this was a three-point game at halftime, three-point game going into the fourth quarter, score the touchdown, force the fumble, and get the separation that they need. I I, I was really impressed with how they closed that game out. So do you, to me, because we t- we've talked uh, twice on this podcast now today about how hard it is to win the National Football League. And look, I get it. I'm with you. Uh, I I don't believe all the the hearsay about your your record is not as good as as uh, who you've played. None of that matters to me. 
but it kind of and I don't know if this is Seahawks bias, but they just they've beat the Cardinals twice, the Broncos, the Lions, the Giants, and the Chargers. Those to me are not impressive wins by any stretch. So if I'm the outlier and I'm being the 49ers fan, fine. But none of those six wins to me are impressive. Because when they got when they played a good team in the 49ers, they got shit pumped. Yeah, but that was week two. Like it, that was a long time fair, ago. Like fair, and, and they're developing and team defensively. Yeah, they've I, won no, five I, out okay. of their last six games. It was a one score game against New Orleans. They probably should have won that game. So um, I'll stand down because it's it's clearly just 49ers bias right now. Well, I just I think the 14 point win against the Giants was an impressive win considering what that Giants team was rolling into Seattle that week. I think beating um, beating the Chargers by two touchdowns is an impressive win against the Chargers team, right? Um, uh, it's it's not that I disagree with you that there's nothing that jumps out and says, oh, that's a huge win. They're playing Tampa Bay this week. That'll be an interesting game. Um, obviously, the In Munich. Game, yeah. <laughs> the, two, the two games that really stand out is like these will be important games for the, for the Seahawks will be home against the Niners and at Kansas City. How they fare in those two games, which they will be underdogs in both of those well, that- games. And they also get home at the Jets after that too, but I'm the jury's still out on the Jets. I the, guess what I'm the saying the Niners is, could be that that pivotal game that decides the division. Yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. Um, but for what they've done so far against talent, because the one thing you have to say at least is against all of those teams, the Lions, even the the Cardinals, the Chargers, the Giants, they're all talented, and if they're not really talented. They're really well coached in the case of the New York Giants who aren't super talented, but are a really, really well coached football team. And they were better coached that day. Pete Carroll outcoached Brian Dable in that game. And that is a huge reason why they won that game. So there no question there are they exceeding expectations considering that we thought this was going to be a bottom yeah. four team in the NFL. Absolutely. And that might be part of it too. We might be raising the Seahawks up because of what our expectations were going into the season but I still think that Seattle's a really good team. Like I, they may not really good, but they're, they're a damn good football team. They're incredibly well coached. They're playing great defense. They have young athletic, really good guys on that defense mixed in with a couple of veterans and they're coached incredibly well. And then on the other side of the ball, Geno Smith is that perfect hybrid of game manager and guy who's willing to make a big play. They have elite level wide receivers on the outside and they have a young running back who over his last five games <laughs> since Rashad Penny has gone out with injury, he has like over his last four games when they're four and L, he has over 500 yards rushing over his last four games. That's I think wild. he has like seven touchdowns too. Like he's playing out of his mind right now. And he's doing so behind an offensive line that has two rookie tackles who are playing exceptional football. Like Charles Cross, who I, you know, deemed to be the worst pick of the first round. Just body value pick. Yeah. Sure. But just absolutely body JJ Watt in this game. So goes to show you what the fuck do I know? Right. Um, Boye Mafi being an awesome skill player. Kenneth Walker, uh, Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen. There's there's two starting cornerbacks. Kobe Bryant had another pick in this game. Mm-hmm. Bryant and Woolen were fourth and fifth round picks this year. And they're the starting secondary and they're leading this team to being one of the better secondaries in football so far, statistically. So I, I understand where you're coming from and I don't disagree that, yeah, there's not a single win on there that jumps out as like a signature win, like the Eagles beating the shit out of Minnesota. That's a signature win, 
but credit where credit's due, man. Sure. You know, and if yeah. we're going to hype up Minnesota and say, hey, they don't pass the smell test, like if it's an even, even field, like neutral site, Seahawks, Vikings. I, I take the Seattle. Seahawks right now. Yeah, I'm like, with you. So I think that's, I think that's about as much as, as like, it's a perfect way of kind of wrapping up what I was going to say. Um, all right, let's move on. Two more games in the NFL. Rams, Bucks, the uh, Buccaneers, classic Tom Brady. Tom Brady does what Tom Brady does, finds a way to win a game. And with, was it, 49 seconds left on the clock? Yep. Marches down the field in 37 seconds, scores a game-winning touchdown. More Good, offensive. Little-known receiver. Yeah, right. Kate Otten. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tight end. He, probably the most creative that offense has looked all year was on that final drive. Well, um, yeah. I, I don't know why. And obviously, look, the, the, the Rams are playing prevent defense in the fourth quarter against Tom Brady when they've been just owning them all day. That's unacceptable. Uh, you can't do that if you're the Rams. But why they're not running more of this quick pass, quick hitch, get them out, out, you know, little corner outs. Um, I don't know, man. I just I, – I, I was – A, love seeing Tom Brady. What was it, his 56th regular season, fourth quarter overtime comeback drive? Yeah, and uh, over 100,000 yards. Uh, over 100,000 yards. Too, yeah. Uh, I believe it was his 63rd in total, including the postseason. That is fucking insane. Yeah. Think about that. That is six 10 season, 10 win seasons worth of overtime wins alone. <laughs> like, for, it can't go I mean, understated. And I know with all how badly the Bucs have looked and with the Giselle stuff and Brady in general. He, if it's his last year, he hung on too late, whatever. I also, I'm sleeping on this take. I don't think this is going to be Tom Brady's last year. I think Tom Brady comes back for another year after this. Wouldn't because, be hey, shocked. My wife already left me. Why not? Fuck it. Let's run it back. You know, I, I that's, I'm, I'm, I'm not fully all in on that take, but I'm like, come home, Tom. Half of the way there. I'm like half of the way. Come um, home. Come to the Niners. Well, he's he's under contract, so I don't. Doesn't matter. I don't think he's coming to the Niners. <laughs> he can um, retire and then come to the Niners. But I just want to make sure that people appreciate because if this is Tom Brady's last year, like the shine has kind of come off of it because he did retire and then he came back and all that stuff. Um, we need to appreciate all the crazy Tom Brady stats like we did last year of just 100, how 000. fucking nuts it is. Well, did, did you hear during the game? Did you watch the end of it or? Uh... Yeah, maybe it was right after he hit the the hundred thousand that they said it would take Patrick Mahomes until his age forty one season to hit a hundred thousand yards. Patrick Mahomes is twenty seven years old. Like, think about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. They were, and yeah. it might happen. It very well could happen. <laughs> the way Patrick is playing. Yeah, but like. Joe That's Burrow, insane. Joe Burrow would have to average the same amount of yards he has so far in his career until he was forty-six. Oh my God, that's bonkers, man! And that's and that's with them getting an extra game each year that Tom yeah, Brady didn't right. have. Right. So yeah, just continue to appreciate all the crazy Tom Brady stats as we get them. Um, the Rams stink. Not great, um, Bob. One big play, and it was the touchdown pass to Cooper Cup which they're going to get probably one or two of those a game. Um, they'll probably get more than that because Cooper Cup is still putting up. And that was against, pace, by the way, to to break the, the receiving uh, receptions record in the NFL this season, which is crazy um, considering that like the Rams offense looks like absolute dog shit. Um, 
He is their offense. <laughs> it's historically one of the worst running teams we've ever seen, the Rams this year. Uh, and I think they're like the fifth worst running team on average that we've ever seen in NFL history. And yet what's crazy is the offense looked the best in the third quarter when they were running the ball consistently. Hmm. Um, this is, I didn't think there would be much of a Super Bowl hangover because I thought there was too much talent returning. Obviously the offensive line is awful. I think they've gone through like 13 different offensive linemen this year, which hurts. But at the same time, I didn't think they would be this bad. And that they defense are is bad. not impressive. It's well, not the defense. That's the thing. The defense is the number four defense in football this year. The defense is but actually the, playing really, really good. If you, the offense if you, is what's killing them. Right. But if you watch a game, even, uh, and maybe this is a testament to the, to the Niners offense last week, but, or two weeks ago, um, but that defense, and it's not just the Niners game. It's been all year. Like that defense has not impressed me. Like if you're you, able you to, double, if, uh, true, but if you're, if you're able to take Aaron Donald out of the game, right? What are they? Jalen Ramsey, who's not been as good this year as he has been in past years. What else? Leonard Floyd, who can get after the quarterback. That was a huge part when they when they picked up Von Miller last year. That was huge for that stretch run that they had. And I'm surprised they didn't make a deal at the deadline, honestly, for uh, for something to bolster their offense. Uh, now, look, OBJ still kind of hanging out there. We'll see what happens there. Um, but um, I'm, I'm not impressed with this team, not at all. Um, I, I, look, I'm not either, but the defense does deserve credit because they are the number three defense in all of football right now. They are the number one red zone defense in all of football. They're top five in tackling pressure and coverage. I, I just, I think you have to give credit to, because like, look, it, it, does it look as dynamic as it did before? No question. Right. They're, they're definitely not as good of a pass rushing team as they were before. I think they're like 13th in pass rushing this year. Um, but they are still actually they're They're at 18th in the pass rush this year, which is the Von Miller effect, but they're still a really good pass for our, our coverage team. They're tackling incredibly well, which is the Bobby Wagner effect. Um, And the red zone defense is keeping them in games. It's the offense's inability to move the football that's absolutely killing them. Yeah, no, 100%. And and again, that's why I thought they'd be on the market, especially in a division that's still kind of wide open for the most part, um, why they wouldn't have made a move to go get an offensive weapon that would have Help them out more, but I don't, you know, I don't know that it would have. I think some of the problem is that they're 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 stagnant with with Matt Stafford. They're like, we're gonna throw the ball. I mean, how many times has he forced the ball into uh into Cooper Cup or or Allen Robinson this year, right? And, and no it's question. because they can't establish a run game that that will open any of that up that like they had last year. So well, and um, and Stafford too just doesn't look. I mean, he was overthrowing guys left and right. Like Stafford has definitely regressed this year in this offense. I think losing uh, the the trade where, I mean, it's interesting to think because obviously Robert Woods hasn't been great for Tennessee, but at least Robert Woods knew that offense inside out and backwards. It does make you wonder if they had held on to Robert Woods, if maybe this offense is a little bit more cohesive at least because Allen Robinson yeah. has not, has done nothing for them offensively. Um, and the, the, look, the Bucks. This is the kind of win where Tom Brady goes up standing at the podium at the end of the game and he just goes, that was awesome. That was fucking awesome. 
that's a dangerous Tom Brady because it looked like he had just won the equivalent of a Super Bowl. Given everything he's gone through, given the way this team's performed over the last few weeks, that win for Tom Brady was massive. Um, they, just in yeah. terms of of, in, of just confidence in a weight being off their shoulder, losing back-to-back games, playing like shit. Hey, we just did a fourth quarter comeback against one of the better defenses in the NFL, and we and found now you're a way to get place. it done, and we're in first place. <laughs> Let's get this shit figured out. November is Tom Brady's best month historically. Let's see them roll. Um, and that's a dangerous place to be. I still don't think Tampa Bay is going to be great, and I still think that game against Seattle next weekend is going to be fascinating, but it's a win. It's yeah. a win against a good defense of nothing else. What annoys me is the the rhetoric for the the Tampa Bay offense coming in and the 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 lack of commitment to run and it's Byron Leftwich's fault and all of it. I'm as as anti blame the play calling as as you are, Jeff. Uh, and so for <laughs> then they go into this game and they commit to the run on first, second, third down, and the fans are booing. Because they're getting like one, two yards out. So obviously, look, the common denominator is their offensive line isn't that great. And that's why they can't run the ball. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that that's a huge part of this. And to overcome that. Um, and they still did a, a pretty effective job running the ball. I mean, you know, uh, 17 carries for, for 30, 43 yards. Uh, nothing great. Nothing to write that's home about. Terrible. But like, that's off. But, but like, Again, what it opens up in the pass game, this is what helped Tom Brady on that final drive. Um, is but they didn't run, I mean, they couldn't run on the final drive, it was all right. the quick passes. Like, I think what they need to do is completely throw out whatever the fuck they've been doing because the the running, the, I know we've gone back and forth on this over the last few weeks. Running the ball is not going to help this team, it's not. It, their offense is boring and stagnant and gross. Yep. And I know that they're doing they it because, do it. because yeah. of a lack of talent and the amount of drops. Tom Brady has had to deal with this year has been awful. I, I, and like Scotty Miller, not you, Scotty, other Scotty Miller, uh, dropping a touchdown catch. To oh, in the square end, in the hands. Mike oh. Evans dropping passes, right? <laughs> when it seemed like Evans and Brady had this great chemistry this year, it's felt off. All of Godwin that, was seven of 10. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they I mean, were all on target. Right. So, like, they need to, and Godwin made a couple of incredible catches that one he picked off the ground. It's crazy. But, Brady hasn't looked 100% sharp. Nobody in this offense has looked particularly sharp. They need to cut out the small mistakes, the drops, the miscommunications, and they need to just get on the same page with that. Because I honestly think this is a situation, Scott, where if they eliminate the drops and the miscommunication for Brady's, they had a busted play yesterday that looked awful. Um, If they eliminate that stuff, that will open up the running game. That's what they need to open up the running game is for the passing game to be just efficient, right? Just quick yeah. passes, catches, because then the defense is going to have to respond and it'll open some stuff up. Right now they're saying, well, you guys haven't been com- you know, converting on these passes. We're going to play man-to-man on the outside and load up the box against you and let Aaron Donald or whoever's going up against that interior defensive line get all after you. And then he- Tom Brady was a you know basically flummoxed because they kept forcing the run instead of converting – on these quick, easy throws that have been there, but his guys just keep dropping it. And part of that is the lack of talent that they have at the wide receiver position. Julio Jones, I mean, I don't think I've seen him catch a ball since week two. Maybe even week one in that game against Dallas, I feel like I haven't seen Julio Jones. 
So maybe it's going to be more Brashad Perriman, who we've seen Brady have some connections with in the past, right? Maybe it's going to be more of that stuff to help open up the run game, but they need to get the ball to the wide receivers, even if it's on those quick little slants, work with Scotty Miller. I Honestly, they put Scotty Miller in that game, and yeah, I know he dropped the touchdown earlier, but he had like four catches on that final drive that got him down the field on those quick outs, and he was a huge reason why they did get that quick little slot receiver going, pick up four or five yards of time on the quick passes, and that will help open up stuff for the run game for Leonard Fournette because Leonard Fournette hasn't been the problem. But when you have backup center, guard, right guard, and left guard, well, it's Shaq Mason, but backups along your offensive line and injuries, you need to be able to pass the ball in order to help run the ball. And that that has to be complementary football in that regard, if that makes sense. That's at least where I stand. Yeah, not the reverse of – not like, hey, let's the, force yeah. the run, even though they know it's coming and we know that they're going to stop it. And then we'll hope that Mike Evans makes a big catch on third and long. Get five yards on a on a quick out and then reestablish. And then maybe on second and five, you try to run it. And then at least you're dealing they can with, make a decision. You're, on, you're dealing on, with a third and four with Tom Brady yeah. dropping back instead of, you know, a third and eight because you tried to run it up the middle twice and you got no yards. Um, all right, let's move on. Last game. Uh, and last bit here on the pod, Titans, Chiefs, Sunday night thriller. Derrick Henry explodes in the first half, uh, but Patrick Mahomes does what Patrick Mahomes does, which is win crazy games they have no business winning. Um, yeah, second straight game over 400 yards, too. Over 420, so I believe. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. <clears throat> and this is why, when we did our rankings back in the offseason, I put Patrick Mahomes number one because we all were so quick to say, oh, but Justin Herbert or, oh, but Lamar Jackson or, oh, Josh Allen. Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL. It's it's it hasn't been close for a while. And if anything, and this was my case with the Chiefs. He's they're not going to be the 50 point blowout performances we saw with Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey in the beginning of Mahomes' career when they won the Super Bowl, when he won MVP. It's not going to be that stuff. But it is going to be these games. It's going to be these moments. I'm in the fourth quarter right now, other than Tom Brady, which is crazy to even think considering how bad the Bucs have been, Mahomes is the guy you want in the fourth quarter. Yeah. He's, he's the best. Yeah, I'm trying, he's the best like Josh, to do it. Josh Allen close second, but even then, like still the, uh, <clears throat> the mistakes that he's prone to, uh, we've seen already this season uh, late in the game. So, uh, yeah, I, well, it's got to be Mahomes. And they both run the ball great. You know, Mahomes, when he runs around, scrambles is great. But it's a different but He scored that of, touchdown late in the game. when he. <laughs> 100%. And that, that's yeah. the thing. It's people are – defenses are afraid and respect Josh Allen's running ability more than Mahomes. And therefore, it actually kind of makes Mahomes the more lethal runner in situations like that. Right. Well, it's because definitely a cheat code because you, you expect Mahomes to throw to yeah. like Kelsey in those situations. And then you like, realize he's like, what? <laughs> he's also like a 4740 guy. Like he also is like really right. fast and crazy athletic and and can run. And, and Whereas you expect Josh Allen to like, if, you're, if your coverage is good enough, you expect to be able to have a guy that's he's like, hey, Josh Allen's and, running, but like, yeah, uh, we'll take our like, chances quarterback version of Derrick Henry and just run people yeah, over, right. right? Whereas like Mahomes, he uses his legs as that truly last resort as like the fifth or sixth option. And because of that, when he does run, he picks up a ton of yardage and converts these back breaking third and fourth downs 
uh, the balls on Andy Reid to go for it on fourth and one in overtime, too. He did it in the Super Bowl um, against the Niners. I mean, it, I mean that's – it's Andy Reid, man. That man's balls are hanging lower than a fucking lion or Billy – I don't know. Who's got big balls? Uh, either way, Mahomes is just – is filthy good. The, the Titans, this was like – and I've been saying it for the last couple of weeks. Titans are a really good fucking football team. And they are a fat Randy, defense. They they were a fat Randy kick away from being six and one going into this game. Um, instead, they're they were five and two going into this game. Now they're five and three. But the Titans aren't going anywhere. They're the clear front runner to win the AFC South. There was, I think it was like week four or week five. It was after all the the Jacksonville buzz. They were still like plus one twenty to win the division. Um and oh, I should have taken them. I know. And I'm kicking myself because I'm like, of oh. course they do this. But their defense is legit. Um, their secondary is really good. Now that Bud Dupree's back, their defensive line is really good. And their linebacking room is really good. And Derrick Henry, you know, we, we talked about it on Friday. We we're like, are we sure Derrick Henry's going to be playing? He's missed practice this week. We've heard things about a foot. No, he's fine. He's going to come in and just break off massive runs. Um, he scores the two touchdowns in the second quarter. And they did all this with Malik Willis playing quarterback. Yeah, Whereas, who I was impressed by. You know, I mean, I, it's a, it was a, it. it was half a step from last week, even um, where it was simplified. It was just get Derrick Henry the ball. He's got two hundred and twenty rushing yards and two touchdowns. This week they did sort of the same thing, but they were like, you know what, Malik, we kind of trust you a little bit more to manage yeah. the game. And if we get in a situation where you need to throw the ball, he did. He had some some really critical throws. Well, I was going to uh, say it was a half step above Mac Jones versus the bills last year in new England. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, but five, that was uh, five wind of 16 <laughs> for 80 years, 80 yards. I will say the one throw he had in the first quarter, the little back shoulder uh, stem route to the, uh, uh, to the tight end was a fucking incredible throw, but yeah. that was the last time you could say that about him. Um, this was Tennessee holding on for dear life against a really, really fucking good team. Uh, I'll say this. I do think for as good as Mahomes is, who threw the ball 68 times in this game, um, for as good as Mahomes and this Chiefs offense can be, I do think they're more gettable this year. Obviously, we saw the game against Indianapolis. We've seen a couple of close games, the Raiders game, and now this game against Tennessee where Kansas City's hung in there. But that's what's going to happen when you don't don't have the top-end playmaker like Tyreek Hill. Like They are a little bit more gettable. Does that mean that I'm going to pick other teams to beat them? No, absolutely not. And I do think it's, that Kansas City should be the favorite to win the Super Bowl right now. Yeah, it's all about momentum, especially at this point in the season. We're hitting week 10. We're in the stretch, man. This team's starting to get hot, and it's dangerous. Yeah, and the defense is, is solid. I mean, they're right now they're middle of the pack in terms of yeah. their overall defensive grade. But, but that's they they've been that way the whole time that they've yeah. been even winning the Super Bowl but a couple Spagnola of years ago. is also very much like Belichick in that like yeah. his defenses get better as the season goes on. And we're seeing that again, their defense seems to get better and better. Uh, and, and I think Mahomes, man, like, it's just like Juju has been awesome. Like Juju is going to be one of those dudes that we get to the end of the year and you see like the pro bowl rosters get released and like Juju is going to be on it. And you're like, wait, what the fuck? Like how did and then you look at his stats and you go, he oh, yeah. quietly has like, like nine hundred and eighty oh, yeah, yards. Oh, he's gonna have more than that. He's gonna be yeah, over probably. a thousand. Like he and and Travis Kelsey obviously is awesome too. But they're going up against a really really good Tennessee defense, who's currently number five overall in the NFL, and they found a way to get it done because that's what they always do. 
and Mahomes is just that fucking good. So um, I feel very vindicated as everyone else is trying to move on. I'm like, y'all are being crazy. Don't move on from Mahomes. He's still the best in the league, and he proved it again on Sunday night. So uh, right now I would say power rankings, Chiefs and Eagles, 1A, 1B. Um, and that's just because I'm giving credit. If we're just talking about this season, it's Eagles number one, no question. Um, but if we're talking about like given everything and history and experience, which I think is the more rational way to do it, Eagles, Chiefs, number one, number two, 1A, 1B, however you want to split it up, I'd probably give the Chiefs the nod just because they do have the experience and they have been there and they have done that. Uh, and we haven't really seen this Eagles team get tested, but we haven't really seen the Buffalo Bills get tested after. So I feel like it's the Chiefs and the Eagles and the Bills, but the Bills kind of feel like they've kind of, it feels like it's two teams what's, at the top and the Bills are just barely on the outside. What's your best uh, middle of the pack or, or at least middle of the pack record team that you think will finish, uh, finish at, at the, at or near the top? Uh, I'm thinking teams that are like four and four, five and four, five and three, those kind of teams. Cause um, I have mine and it's mine, but. Well, yeah, I mean, San Francisco obviously is a big one. I think Dallas has to be in that conversation. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll say Miami. I think Miami's gonna okay. win. A lot. I think Miami's gonna win a lot of football games this year. But I'm I I'm don't think they're gonna be a, a, like a team that we see in the AFC Championship game. Um, I think the Bengals are incredibly dangerous too. But yeah, uh, I I don't know. Uh, that I was think, my second one. <laughs> I think you have to put the cow. I think if you're if you're to ask me to make one pick, I would say the Cowboys. Um, the Cowboys scare me, uh, and and I think I think we're going to see this Cowboys team get better and better as the season goes on, uh, and I'm really excited because yeah, that, I mean unless the Eagles pull off the undefeated regular season, what about your Seahawks? <laughs> I love the Seahawks. I think they're awesome. I'm not sure if I'm ready to put them in that kind of tier yet, but I'll tell you this right now: they got a two game lead ahead of the San Francisco 49ers. That's going to be tough to overcome, and yeah, they'll get at least one game back. You know, if the if the Niners are to beat the Seahawks, but the Seahawks got to, you know, they're playing a last place schedule and they have a lot of winnable games left on their schedule there, too. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, all right. We ran a little long. Great podcast. We will do some college football talk on Friday's pod after the rankings come out. Uh, we'll have some reaction to that and do some hypotheticals with everybody. But thank you all for listening. We will be back later in the week. Shout out Alliance Accounting, the presenting sponsor of the Read Option Podcast. Yes. Support and, the uh, people who support us. 100%. They're, they're the best at what they do. They're the best at what they do. So we will talk to you guys on Friday. Have a wonderful week. And as always, take it easy.